movie movie the podcast about movie movies my name is garrett smith my name is dan scully all right and uh, Ryan, this is our big uh, end of year shit it is happy new year everybody it's uh happy we're doing new our year best movie movies of 2020 we are joined by ryan silverstein host of such podcasts as okay i'm gonna try and like see if i can get the whole list here um i saw it in a movie Yep. F yeah, F one. Yep. The shame files. Yeah, that, that's all. Have I covered for now. them all? Have I nailed yeah, yeah. them all? All right, very yep. good. And, As of uh, this and... recording, those are the three. <laughs> yes. Okay. Very good. And the editor of Cinema76.com. Welcome, Brian. Happy to be back. Always look forward to what has become an annual tradition. Uh, this is one of my favorite favorite things to do in a year, and so I'm excited that we're kicking a year off by doing it. <laughs> yes. Right on, right on. Uh, Question, Garrett: Have we oh, have we introed with Home Alone Tomahawk yet? I don't think so. Write it on. Put that it on the one, board. That one occurred to me last night, and I was and but I I didn't know if we did it. So stay tuned in in future episodes, listeners, for an intro of Home Alone Tomahawk. Put it on the board. Or Home Alone Two, Lost in New Yamahawk. <laughs> I like that. It was yeah, exactly you? where. I, yeah, it wasn't exactly <laughs> was, where I expected it to likeable? go. Was it Uh Ryan, what is Chrome Tomahawk a reference to? Uh, that was the, I oh, didn't I even ask. Thinking, I just went with it. Oh, I was just thinking of uh, Mad Max Fury Road, shiny and Chrome <laughs> Tomahawk. Oh, I like. Oh, yeah, nice. Very good. Because if they, if uh, you know, if uh, one of the um, uh, War Boys had a Tomahawk, it would be shiny and it would be Chrome. <laughs> Yes, it would. Yes, it would. Uh, guys, I'm like very looking forward to this. I feel like 2020 has been such a weird movie year that ultimately ended up being a kind of great movie year. Uh, you know, I feel like we always get to the end of these and we're like, oh, yeah, actually, this year was great for movies. Um, but it ended up to me, the thing that I uh, this year kind of brought about was like everybody had to scramble to see movies in whatever way they could. And it means everybody's lists are like really personal this year in a way that I feel like uh, maybe lists have not been always i mean i guess i'm saying this for me personally but i feel like even in general i'm not noticing as many sort of like unanimous these are the great movies picks across yeah. lists this year um and i think that's this really is the cool. first year i feel like i i look at my list and i go oh you know what there's nothing on here that i picked because i was supposed to pick it and right. even like fighting that impulse sometimes it's tough to not uh, receive that impulse accidentally, you know? And, but my list, I'm very pleased with being movies that I very much selected because I enjoyed them. They stuck with me or they showed me something new. So that was pretty much the criteria and that's it. Yeah, I definitely uh, don't feel subject to any sort of hype train this year. So I will say that in advance, my list is not influenced by type so much as my uh, very mainstream tastes. So like, Fair this enough. is actually what I like, but there are a lot of things that, like, of the things that actually did, I feel like get talked about a lot. There's a few of them on my list. That's cool. Um, yeah, I mean, how many? There's, uh, there's a couple, I think, for me too. 
How many slots are we doing? Are we holding it to 10? 10. Let's keep it at 10. I like 10. Okay. I would like to just rattle off my my 15 through 11 uh, to shout them out because there's a weird one in there. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. At my 15, I had Random Acts of Violence, which is just a bitch and slasher. I had Butt Boy at 14, which is funny because as soon as my list went up, so many people contacted me to tell me that Butt Boy was the movie they hunted down. And so I guess you just can't fight a good title. Um, True History of the Kelly Gang. I I just think there's some tremendous filmmaking going on here. A lot of in-camera stuff that I think is quite unbelievable. Capone at 12. And and, uh, then... Poopies. And then at 11, there was just a, I wanted to shout this one out, the Old Man movie that I caught at Fantastic Fest. It's a uh, claymation movie about, a, it's like a road movie where they're trying to capture an escaped cow before it explodes from having not been milked, which will cause a creamy, milky apocalypse. And uh, it's just, it's utterly demented, the whole thing, and it's a lot of fun. So that was my 15 through 11. Out awesome. of the way, into the yeah. I, I I can rattle off mine only because I think there's only one that shows up on one of your guys' lists. So that way we can, uh, you know, if anyone's doing the movie moving challenge this year, we can already pot pile them <laughs> under uh, a ton of movies uh, within the first. Like, I don't five think uh, they finished last year's movie movie challenge. I believe yeah. it was abandoned at like 15 <laughs> minutes into the pod. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, so my number 15 is Time. It's a documentary about a family where the uh, husband, father has been in prison uh, and it's made up of new footage shot with the family and uh, camcorder footage that they had shot to show him over the course of the time that he's been in prison. Uh, it's 80 minutes long. It's super moving. Um, and it just it really feels immersive in a way that documentaries don't often because uh, there's not like talking head stuff. It's actual, just like you're watching this family experience life. I would love things. to see uh, that. I remember four- when that came around. Yeah. Uh, my number 14 is Tenet, uh, which we've talked about previously on the show. Uh, it rules. And uh, having seen it now three times total, uh, I love it that much more. Um, the my 13 is emma the jane austen adaptation from way way back like last it was a movie i saw in a theater so it's early in uh 2020 but it, anya taylor joy uh stars in it she's tremendous um i know a lot of people watch queen's gambit this year so if you like that you should go check this out um because she just had a really wild year also new mutants was a thing that actually came out that she's in that i still have not seen I'm thinking I might watch New Mutants this weekend because I'm at a point where it's like, I think I'm at a point where I can enjoy that. You know, like I can just <laughs> pop it in and be like, yeah, man, I'm in, you know? Yeah, zap them with your laser eyes. Go, you know, I'm into it. Uh, my number 12 is Gretel and Hansel, uh, which is an Odds Perkins directed fairy tale that has my favorite production design of the entire year. Uh, it looks amazing. Also, Alice Krieg, the Borg Queen herself, uh, plays the witch, and she is amazing. Uh, she gives a tremendous performance. Yeah, really that movie's like this deeply unsettling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, a flick I caught in the theater and super enjoyed Same. it. Um, Same. And then Oz Perkins my... is a really interesting director. I'm liking what he's putting out. Yeah, I still haven't seen Black Coat's Daughter, but I have seen his other movie that I think is on, I think the, his two previous oh, movies are on Netflix. Girl that lives in the thing, or we are the people that are, live in the hole, or I yeah. don't know what the title is. It's one of those titles, yeah. Black <laughs> yeah. Coat's Daughter is pretty wicked, though. That movie rocks. I'm looking forward to get to, to getting to it. 
Uh, and then my number 11, I have a feeling we will be talking about. So I will just say that my number 11 was Wolf of Snow Hollow, um, which was like hard to place that movie at 11. But again, I feel like we will be talking about that more. So, yeah, um, as long as we're doing this, I'll just run down mine super fast. And some of these we might talk about more. I'm not really sure. Um, my number 15 was Relic, uh, which is a really cool, interesting horror movie from this year. It's to me, this is like this year's Babadook. It's just like really interesting, great metaphorical horror um number 14 uh was shirley uh which is a sort of biopic kind of about shirley jackson uh that just has like a tremendous uh, couple of lead performances and like the most unique relationship on screen this year that i just was like really that i really gravitated to it and i thought about it a lot why am i blanking on the director's name oh it's um josephine uh, decker josephine Josephine Decker. decker that's it yeah i i love i love the way she uses her camera Mm-hmm. Um, and it was so weird to go from Madeline's Madeline, which like kind of mastered that mix of, of fly on the wall and like interacting with people to being something that's like a little more, uh, a little more like classically structured, but man, that's, yeah, that's a, that's a cool movie. Yeah. Uh, my number 13 was birds of prey, which was something I didn't even watch until like a week ago. I wasn't even sure if I was really interested in it. I never saw suicide squad. I fucking loved birds of prey. This was like one of the most fun like watches of the year for me it, it is just wall-to-wall fun performances yeah, really energetic filmmaking. 12. yeah yep yeah really enjoyed it he was, uh, when he's skidding people hanging them upside down mm-hmm. and getting off on skinning people yep. i think about the roller skate motorcycle chase at the end uh quite a bit that was really cool uh, that movie's a lot of fun i like that a lot super fun uh, my number 12 uh, was a documentary called Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, this is the movie about Mark Patton, the star of A Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Uh, and uh, it's just a really great, compelling documentary uh, that I think kind of like goes to some interesting, compelling places. Uh, it doesn't just feel like a, hey, this is a profile of this guy. It, it like does have an arc uh, that made it a, cool. a pretty compelling documentary, I thought. Um, and my yeah, number eleven. That documentary, is, that documentary is great. Like, if anybody likes best worst movie, I feel like it has a similar tone and approach. Where like it keeps poking at the same things from a bunch of different angles, just to kind of see what pops out. Yeah, um, I still gotta watch that. That's been high on my list for a while, and I just have not, just haven't pressed play. It, it's like really entertaining and and good. I, I like that movie. And then uh, it's my the number... last piece of the puzzle. I watched all the Freddies again and like watched the documentaries. And that's the last one. I was gonna get that. And uh, my number eleven is uh, Promising Young Woman, which uh, we may or may not talk about more. And I uh, just I I really really liked this movie, and it was in my ten until like minutes before I submitted my ten. Uh, this is just like tremendous filmmaking. I just I ultimately decided I didn't know if I had. Uh, enough to say about it to warrant putting it on, on my list at the end of the day. That's my right uh, 15 through 11. All right. Right on. So I'm having, there, there is such a delay that I'm having a hard time. Uh... Yeah. Uh, I was thinking about this earlier, actually, because it, it seems to, on my end, Dan, it's worst coming from you. So I think what we <laughs> should do, yeah. if we can, can, do we, can we go to the normal device you use for this? Like, we'll just, this is the normal this... device I use. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah, this uh, is I, like I thought you said something about it being on a time limit because you're doing it a different way. Oh, you know, if I'm running the iPad with my headphones plugged in so I can't charge it while I'm using it, it's just going to be a battery suck. 
But okay. it always is. It's just typically this episode goes four hours and it won't sustain you. that. But <laughs> the typical you. episode of an hour or two hours, it'll totally sustain. I got you. We will just have to deal Plus, with Plus the it. new season of RuPaul's Drag Race starts at eight. And so that is a hard, fast mm-hmm. pump the brakes right there. Cool. Well, uh, let's get started. We'll just have to deal with whatever these issues are we're having. Yeah, um, it feels it feels good now. It seems to have smoothed out. All right, cool. As uh, we're talking now, yeah. Uh, does anybody like want to go first, or you want me to just kick it off and we'll start going around? Um, yeah, however you want to do it. I, I, yeah. I have one. We all have one. We all have a list. All right, I'll, I'll kick it off <laughs> because uh, this already came up. My number ten is uh, uh, Jim Cummings, The Wolf of Snow Hollow. Uh, this ultimately, like, kind of last minute, ended up on my list at the number ten spot. I just I laughed at this movie harder than I laughed at any other movie this year. And that's not even the only thing this movie has going for it. I thought it kind of deserved to be here ultimately because I was just like I couldn't stop thinking about this movie after I watched it. It was like so supremely entertaining and still had like a little bit to like chew on as well. Um, I I just think like Cummings is like a really he's an interesting director because I feel like he's a performer that is only directing because he wants to perform. And that ultimately means he makes like kind of weird, interesting choices as a director that mm-hmm. really kind of work for me. Yeah, I, I really. I would agree. I, I didn't put this on my list. Oh, you go. You go, go. ahead, Dan. All right. Uh, well, I, yeah, yeah. This was a, a close uh, slide to my number eleven again at the last minute. Um, and uh, I watched this. I did watch this movie like two days in a row uh, because I had enjoyed it so much. Um, and I like werewolf movies. I think this is a very fun werewolf movie. It was also really cool to watch it while we actually had snow outside, uh, which was just like a super fun kind of bonus aesthetic vibe. Uh, but I really like the mix of the like uh, cop comedy plus werewolf procedural. Like there's a lot of different pieces to this movie, but they actually all come together in a way that's really interesting. And I think this is one of the few times where um the editing of showing things out of order actually benefits the overall quality of the movie and isn't just a way of information delivery like it actually like the tone it actually plays with the tone of the movie because you're flashing back and forth between like a werewolf attack and then uh him as a cop finding out about the werewolf attack or looking at the crime scene or something so there's actual it's not even information that's being delivered it's actually like playing with the tone of snapping you back into that horror feel I uh, I really liked this movie. It didn't make the list just by sheer. It was just a numbers thing. It just and I kind of did figure it would come up, but I uh, the one thing that I, I mean, there's a lot of things I like about this movie. I really like the way that it comes together in the end. I think that it comes together like correctly. I, I really feel like all the character arcs resolve in a way that's satisfying, true to life, and true to like the way the movie was. But the thing I found most fascinating about it is that most werewolf movies are about this guy who was bit by a werewolf and now is trying to corral this monster and keep it at bay. And in this movie, it's not about the werewolf guy, but it is about a guy who is carrying a monster and who is constantly fighting to keep it at bay and is like kind of a schmuck. And so I I love that he is sort of your, your Lon Chaney guy. Who's this out of his depth schmuck. Who's got this monster he has to beat. And then also it's a werewolf movie, you know, and so I, I like that they, they kind of turned that on its ear a little bit. Um, and Jim Cummings is just one of those dudes that it's like, I, I want to, you want to go hang out at the mall, bro? <laughs> <laughs> he is like so 
funny in such a unique way. There's a there's a scene in this movie that Tori and I like talk about all the time where he's like at an AA meeting and he's talking about the negative thoughts that he's had about other people in the AA meeting. <laughs> and he, he gives this side eye to one of the people that he's talking about. because He goes like, and Jeff, I'm very sorry about how I felt about you last week and your entire family. He like, he like he disses this guy's entire family. It's so funny. He's just he's funny in like a really unique way. And uh, I thought this movie really, really like highlighted those comedy chops in a, in a fun way. I thought it was cool that he you know went from Thunder Road where he places himself at the center. And yeah. I think we talked about this on here. Uh, and yeah. like this one, it's like more like yeah, he's still kind of at the center of this story, but like it, it's much more an ensemble piece. Yes, and he doesn't necessarily have to carry the whole thing on his shoulders and ends up like getting this real fluid performance in there through that. Yeah. And yeah. the supporting cast is great. RP to, to Robert Forrester, Max, Max Cherry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, and he's great in it. I like, I loved him in the movie so much. So yeah, that's, that's my number 10. The Wolf of Snow Hollow. Awesome. Um, I'll do my 10. We'll give Ryan the one spot at the end. Cool, cool. Uh, my, my 10 is I'm thinking of ending. Um, I don't, is that going to come up later? Uh, it's not on my list. Nope. Okay, not cool. So we'll get through it here. Uh, I think what I liked most, I, I just have such a, a boner for things that are impenetrable. It's uh, an impenetrable movie. It, it, pleases me because it just adds to the entertainment value where you can just pick at it and rip it apart and this movie invites that so much and the added experience of having crammed the novel into my head in the two days before uh, watching the movie i was able to appreciate it also as this incredible feat of adaptation on the part of charlie kaufman because it's a book that that plays with the idea of an unreliable narrator in a way that quite literally only a book can, and it pulls the rug out from under you in a way that is not going to work visually. And Kaufman managed to kind of put his own brand on it and keep the similar thematic rug pulls, but placing them at different ways, at different uh, spots in the plot, and doing it through the visual medium. It, it was just so it was so impressive the way that he was able to come to cinematically capture what this novel was doing without literally doing what the novel was doing. And uh, great performances from from all four people in the movie. And uh, I don't know, it's like the first time that he dabbles uh, tonally towards anything that could be considered like like horror. And I wouldn't call this a horror movie, but there are elements that gave me chills the way that a horror movie does and should. And so this movie just spoke my language for, for a while. And Charlie Coffin's my hero. And even if I uh, prefer him when he's directed by other people, uh, when he's completely unfettered by someone else's creative impulses, we get some truly insane shit. And this is fucking insane. So number 10 is I'm thinking of ending things. Rad. I, uh, unfortunately, I don't have anything to add to this one. This is one of the ones I haven't seen yet. You should definitely check yeah. it out. I can't promise you'll like it, but I, yeah. I know you won't forget it. Yeah, I there's parts of the there's things in this movie that I really really enjoy, and there's a lot in this movie that I uh, ended up hating completely. <laughs> but mm. uh, I do want to plug that I interviewed the um, production designer Molly Hughes for Cinema76.com. She uh, has Philly connections, uh, and she's a fantastic interview. And there's there is a lot of the design in the movie that actually informs you about what's happening. 
uh, mm -hmm. in interesting ways. There's a lot of background details that are very important to the movie. And then there's a lot of like flavor that gets added in that kind of fills out the world of the movie. Um, so I definitely did appreciate it on that level, even before talking to her and then talking to her made it uh, that much more interesting. And I'll add to if you're so lucky that you can watch it while sitting next to someone who's so well versed in theater that they can tie in Oklahoma to what's happening. Uh, that helps, too. And I had that experience. That's cool. And that'll mean nothing to you until you see it. I promise yeah. you that. <laughs> And it might mean nothing to you afterwards as well. Yeah. <laughs> o Oklahoma has come up so many times in so many different things in the last, like, 18 to 24 months that, like, I need to watch it soon. I really Just so I can understand, it. like, all of the references. It just had a, a re like, a very popular uh, and, and well-reviewed revival on Broadway. And um, I hear that it's good. And even people that are like, ah, Oklahoma's stuffy and old. Uh, they went to see it, and they were like, Oklahoma's back, baby. The wind's coming rolling down the plains, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, all right, so uh, my number 10 is uh, Wolf Walkers. It's an animated film uh, that is exclusive to Apple TV+. Plus. Um, it's from a cartoon saloon. They are a European studio uh, based out of Ireland. Uh, this is the third part of their informal Irish folklore trilogy of movies. They did Secret of Kells, uh, Song of the Sea, and then this is the third one. It's not like continuing characters, but just telling stories based in Irish folklore. Um, this is one of the, the kinds of movies where a really sort of like idiosyncratic creator does something that is like way more mainstream than their previous effort, and it just clicks. Mm. We are like, oh, them moving like out of their like really super specific and deep kind of you know, slow cinema animation and telling a story that like the structure of it is much more conventional. It's about a girl and her dad. Uh, he hunts wolves. She uh, befriends a a girl who is basically a werewolf, but not like a werewolf werewolf. She is like a wolf spirit girl. Um, obviously, those two things are going to come into conflict. <laughs> it's set at a time where um, the English are in Ireland um there's christianity and pagan stuff that's going on like it's got a lot of uh princess mononoke themes to it um but the violence is not quite at that at that level um you know so it still is like kid friendly and accessible because it tells a story that is you know sort of familiar but in a way that is um you know very unique to this culture and the animation is like hand drawn like you can see the rough lines sometimes uh, underneath like the colors and stuff that they've done it's it's just breathtaking animation i'm glad that we're still getting hand-drawn animation and i'm really glad that you know again like they took that step towards the middle and they found something that i think will connect with a lot more people than their previous two movies first i heard of it was when i read it in your list that was the first time i had ever heard of it i've seen uh with the secret of kellis Ke whatever Kells, I've seen that. Yeah. kells and that was yeah kellis is uh my milkshake brings all the boys to the yard um <laughs> Kells, yeah, I saw that years ago, and I remember enjoying that and and liking the way it was done. But I that sounds cool. I I had not heard of it until I had read your list. Yeah, I, I am pretty desperate to see this movie, but uh, it's a uh, Apple TV Plus exclusive, so I, I do not uh, do not have that subscription status. So I'm waiting for this one to become more available at some point in the future. Yeah, I, I hope it does. And, you know, if not, I'm sure there will be a point where doing the, like, two-week free trial of Apple yeah. TV Plus will be worth it just to bang out a bunch of stuff that they have. Yeah, yeah. 
Good point. Uh, cool. Um, well, uh, let's move on to our number nines. Uh, my number nine is uh, something that we watched for the show here, Dan. Uh, this is Me and the Cult Leader, uh, nice. directed by Atsushi Sakahara, uh, who we got to interview on the show uh, with his producer, Pearl. What was his uh, producer's name, right? Um, Pearl Chan. Yeah, and um, they were wonderful. The, you should check out that episode of the show. It's uh, going back a few months now um, in our archive, and uh, it, it's a really good interview. This is an, a really incredible documentary Um Atsushi, uh, who directed the documentary, is the is one of the subjects of the documentary. Um, he was the victim of the 1995. He was a victim of the 1995 sarin gas attack on the Tokyo subway system. Um, that was uh, perpetrated by this like cult. Uh, Om Shinriko. Yeah, I, I guess now known as Aleph. I think is like the current name of it or whatever, right? Yeah, um, I don't know. That, that's what the true crime on. book I'm reading actually references that cult and those attacks a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I was unaware of them entirely before this Same. movie was brought to us. Yeah. And now I, it keeps popping up as like a cultural touchstone. And it's like I, I, the point being, this movie informed my world in, in a way that was new. Yeah, yeah. I believe Aleph is what they're called now. That's what all the press materials uh, refer to them as. Uh, I, I, yeah, actually, here, it's, it says formerly Aum Shin, Shinrikyo. Um, yeah. And so um, it's uh, he, Atsushi is a survivor of that attack, and the documentary is about him uh, confronting one of the current executives of Aleph about being part of Aleph, despite the absolute, non-disputable, indisputable fact that they perpetrated this like terrorist attack and uh, killed and harmed many, many people. Um, like Atsushi still deals with um, the side effects from that attack to this day, all these years later. Um, and uh, it's just a really compelling documentary that in a, a year, I mean, not just a year, but in particular this year, a year of such political strife in our country and really around the world, um, this documentary where these two men literally like sit across from each other and go on a road trip across Japan to visit each other's hometowns. And, and Atsushi just... is such a joyous presence, too, yeah. that it's like, this sounds like really hard to watch, and at points it is, but he's such a welcoming, uh, uh, you know, he's just like a welcoming door into this story. Uh, he's like such an unbelievable dude. Yeah. And uh, anyway, and so it's like watching these two guys like tour across Japan, and they just, they have such like respect for each other, and uh, it, I don't know. It's a, it's a really beautiful, heartwarming story that ultimately has like difficult conclusions as well um, mm. that really make for an interesting movie. Uh, yeah, I just I really like this documentary. It's a pretty unique documentary. I don't think I've ever really seen anything like this. Um, and I think it's pretty powerful in 2020. It, you know, it just it, it's got something going on that I, I, I think would speak to a lot of people right now. It really is a, a strong indicator towards the power of of uh, you know firm kindness and and stone cold logic, right? Because his application of both of those to this guy, it's it's like almost systematic and yeah. and it's it's pretty intense. And you know, shout yeah. out to both of them for coming out to the show because oh, yeah. hopefully that movie gets to be widely available because it's it's something it's something brand new. Yeah, I, th- I think people like need to see this movie, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it becoming more widely available, which I hope is what uh, this coming year brings uh, for the movie. Oh, yeah. Nice. That's my number nine. I'm glad that's on your list. 
Yeah, very. I mean, very, that is probably my most personal pick on my list. Nice. All right, so I'm up. So my number nine is the assistant. I saw the assistant, uh, Kitty Green's uh, short little uh, quiet thriller. I saw it towards the beginning of the year. It was like short. And I was like, oh, this sounds pretty cool. And um, ended up being just blown away by it. I think the filmmaking's tremendous. I think some of the choices, such as not seeing the villain, such as, uh, you know, our, our heroes' superiors always being shown from shoulders down so we don't see their faces, explaining, explaining that out loud to you, you'd you would not be wrong to roll your eyes and be like, ah, it sounds like film school shit. But like it applied here, it works so brilliantly. And to throw back to what I said uh at the halfway through the year list when this was on there, and I forgot to look it up again, one of the reviews that was included in the trailer, somebody referred to it as um like oppression by a thousand cuts. And I think that's the best way to put it. And, and this is one of those movies where you watch it and you know, almost immediately, I'm like, all right, I, I know it's what's going on. I know it's happening. But, uh, you know, and it doesn't necessarily go deeper than that. But at the end of the movie, when she's going home from work, I, you know, I go, shit, like, seven, this movie's like 75 minutes long, I think. It's, like, really short. But when it ended, it was like, damn, I am exhausted because of the weight of what she carried all day. And I think that's that's where it really got me is is it was just a really stark reminder that, just because something is is a small offense doesn't mean it doesn't have a cumulative effect. And so it's a really good cinematic depiction of that cumulative effect. And I think that script-wise, it just has some really, really searing dialogue. And as I try and try to write scripts, I just grow more and more envious of such things. And so I, Assistant just slapped me in the face. This shit was awesome. Yeah, I mean that that actually I, I think that was like something I literally ended up saying in my own review of that movie, Dan. And I and I don't feel as strongly about this movie as you do, but it is there is a cumulative effect to this movie that I think like is the goal of the movie and is like pretty strongly felt. Yeah. Even even not liking it as much as you did, like that cumulative effect is like pretty strongly felt and I do think is like the goal of the movie, which is so it is like a kind of a home run in that regard. You know what I mean? Yeah, because I, I know, like, we didn't say this on air yet, but when we were talking about it on the text, you were saying yeah. it would be better as a short film. Yeah. And I would agree insofar as, like, you're right in that as soon as that movie starts, I'm like, All right, I know what's happening here. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. know what this is. Yeah. And, but it was, you know, then when the movie ends, that's when it hits, like, where I think it validates its length is that at the end I go, oh, geez, I don't want to get up out of my chair. Because right. yeah. she's got to get up and do this tomorrow. You know, yes. like, yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's just like, whoa, you know. And yeah. so that's the kind of thing that in my life I don't always see. Yeah. And so to see it, it's a it's like a cool reminder. And I don't know. And I just think it's just it's such clever rock and roll filmmaking, but like just applied clinically. I, mm. I, I really I was just very, very impressed with the assistant. I, I would like to watch everything Kitty Green does and has done. I, I need to watch Casting John Bonet. Oh, that's her. That's interesting. That, I didn't. Yeah, know that. and that sounds right up my alley as like a true crime nerd and shit. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I, Kitty Green is now just like always going to catch her movies list because just rocked by the assistant. I thought it was fantastic. Dude, MVP of that movie is Patrick Wilson ignoring the main character in an elevator. I think playing himself probably. Yeah, he might, he might be playing himself. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah when, I'm, when I'm looking forward up, to country. Like, oh, you haven't seen it yet. Um, yeah, not yet. I just I was trying to get it to it before we recorded today and just didn't. So 
fair. That's, yeah, that's all right. Uh, uh, yeah, when when Patrick Wilson rolled through, I was just like, that's the funding. Like he's got to yeah. be a producer. When Patrick Wilson rolled through, I was like, that's yeah. how this looks so good. Yeah, that but, man yeah. came through. By the way, Ryan, that's like not even a spoiler. He literally is just in an elevator for one, like, you know, 10 second scene. And that is his entire role in the movie. Uh, yeah, I'm not worried. I, I wasn't interjecting because I, I worry about spoilers. I am excited <laughs> yeah. to watch a movie that was partially funded by Aquaman money. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Ocean Master coming in to uh, yeah. fund the, uh, yeah. That'd be great if he was on the elevator and she's just like, hi. And he's like, Ocean Master. Pleased <laughs> to meet you. <laughs> Uh, Maybe unbutton a couple buttons there, huh? And you're like, Jesus, this is getting. <laughs> now it's getting aggressive. Now we've crossed the line. Yeah, uh, that's a great pick, Dan. Like I, I like I said, I, I you know, I, my goal here is not to uh, uh, trash any movies or anything. So I, I would oh, rather yeah, yeah. be pay the compliments to it that I do think it is deserving of. And so I, I really like what you said about it. That is like, I, I think what it is so works so much about that movie is exactly what you're saying that um, yeah and it's worth seeing i think for sure and it's on hulu i think like you can go watch it right now it's definitely available i've i've almost put it on a couple times but every time i was like ah it's rough <sighs> yeah. i don't want to do that yeah um uh, Ryan, what, though, this you... work from home life really like put it put it put a damper on the uh, industry of assholes so that's kind of cool <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that that yeah. minimizes harassment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully. Unless you're unless you're tubing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My God, I like when he was like, "I made a mistake," and it's like, I don't think you can accidentally do that. Yeah, <laughs> it's not one of those things that you. Oops. Oops! I happen to have a webcam. I was paying for a webcam girl open yeah. my in my other window. Yeah, but I'm like. A hundred percent of the time that I have ever put my dick in my hand and started spanking it, a plan was enacted. Yeah. It's like, it didn't just like, oh, shit, oh, 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 shit. You know, it was yeah. just, it happened. It never was like that. There was, there was at least some forethought. <laughs> it's always first degree. <laughs> and Ryan, you're number uh, nine. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so uh, my number nine is Shirley. Um, ah, nice. Which, okay, good. I'm glad we get to talk about this. Yeah, because there's a couple of movies on my list this year that I've noticed that are about people that I have a ton of empathy for and I feel so hard for them dealing with the stuff that they're dealing with. And yet, if I was in a real life situation with that person, I would want to get as far away from them as possible. <laughs> um, so like Jim Cummings in Wolf of Snow Hollow is certainly on that list. Uh, and Elizabeth Moss as Shirley Jackson is also on that list because... I think that's what's so great about this movie is it does not make her likable and not even in that traditional like, oh, like they're a charming asshole and you just like love to see them be bad. Like she is a stressful person to be around. Yeah. Uh, like I keep I, I always keep thinking there's a scene where she's at like a faculty party and she like very purposely like spills a bunch of wine and like the woman that she's like talking to at the time is like freaking out and like worrying about this couch and and Watching the movie, you're like, oh, clearly the, you know, Shirley is having a mental issue. Like, she's having a, a moment right now where she's, like, having some kind of breakdown, freak out, whatever you want to call it. And this woman is clearly more worried about this couch. And, like, it's, like, and it's funny. You know, like, it is played in a very comedic way. And, like, you laugh at it. And then you're like, oh, shit. Like, that really sucks for her also. Yeah. Um, you know, and Garrett, you touched on the relationships between the two central couples in this movie, which yeah. like 
you could tangle and untangle and retangle over and over again, and you're never going to know exactly what's going on between them, which I really found interesting. Like it wasn't a, it wasn't set up as a mystery. It was just things are ambiguous because when you are living in somebody else's house and you're also working with them and they're a person who doesn't always react the same way to the same situation, like every time, like it's just, yeah. And all of that is wrapped up in what it's like to be a woman at this period in time where like your husband can just be like, you know what? I've had enough of your crazy off to the sanatorium. Yeah. Like it, it just, there's so much going on in this movie and it's, it's done in a way that I think is conveyed through the camera, like through the storytelling of the movie. Like it, there's, there are moments where it really does sort of, um, you know, kind of like not break the fourth wall, but like bring its message to a, a point and to a head, but not in a way that like sort of breaks the story of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way of saying what I was, I think that's what I was trying to say earlier about Decker is that if you watch her movies, the camera does sort of become a little bit more into the texture of it. And like, she's the only filmmaker I can think of that's trying to, to breach like a, like a, a, a thematic fourth wall visually. Like, I don't know how to say it, but mm-hmm. uh, it's very refined here. And like where it was almost trippy in something like Madeline's Madeline here, it is, it becomes more grounded and speaks to like, you know, surely is someone like you said, reacts to different experiences differently. So like, that's a great way to unsettle the viewer and kind of draw us into that reality. That is such a fantastic movie. And it is funny because Stuhlbarg is also pretty unhinged, but he's a yeah. genius. Yeah, right. You know, right, like, right. He can be unhinged. He's not going to get sent off because he's, ugh, you know, you're a lunatic, you know. I mean, this is one of the, be- in my opinion, one of the best quote-unquote biopics that I've ever seen mm-hmm. because it, it, you could almost say it isn't a biopic, right? Like it's using the biography of Shirley Jackson to tell us a story about people in this time and how they lived and, and uh, power dynamics. And you know what I mean? Like it's, it's almost like using her story to tell another story. If, the, if that, yeah, makes it's sense. not like she was born on a farm. And right. Then right. Went to high school. Yeah. She yeah. got her first and, typewriter. Yeah. yeah. That, that's a really good point. But I also want to mention, like I have no exposure to Shirley Jackson's work whatsoever. So like mm-hmm. for me, I almost don't even think like I know it's a biopic, but watching it didn't feel like a biopic because I was like, oh, these these could just be characters that were made up or they could be real people like it doesn't you know, I'm sure there are details that if I was more familiar with her work, um, you know, that I would pick up on some of the stuff. And, and I know she's working on a specific uh, like novel or short story or something throughout the course of the movie. But um, I think it plays no matter what your level of familiarity with Jackson is. Nice. Yeah, yeah. this is true. I, I have not read any Jackson, but uh, I, I read uh, a few of her stories in college, and then uh, after this movie, Tori like caught up with a ton of her stuff because she was nice. like really fascinated by her in the movie. And uh, yeah, she's a great writer. Uh, you know, the the way that people react to her in the movie and her writing, uh, I think, is a pretty accurate. You know, uh, that is kind of how her writing feels. The way people kind of react, they're like, "Oh my god, you you freaked me out with that." You know, people have these kind of like big reactions mm-hmm. to her stuff. That is that that's what her writing feels like. Um, so the, the movie, I think, like gets to that in an interesting way. Yeah, if I caught up with the movie earlier in the year, I'm sure I would have read some of her stuff. And I'm sure I will be reaching out to Tori for some recommendations slash borrowing yeah, yeah. of things. Uh-huh. Yeah, please do. Um, you guys want to move to move to the next round? Let's do it. Sure. Number eight. Another uh, round. I know. I know. I was like, oh, right. I just said a title. Um <laughs> That just adds to the movie movie challenge, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Um, He's not going to do it. He'd be crazy to try. He didn't even get through, and, and Valiant Effort was made by, by Noah Houlihan and Plus Two Comedy. Shout out for him. Valiant Effort, and um, he did better than I ever would have done by a country mile. Yes. So Valiant Effort, hopefully this, this year will be easier for you. Uh, Elmo and Grouchland. <laughs> uh, my uh, my number eight is uh, Dave Franco's The Rental. Uh, uh, this is going to come up. Okay, awesome. Well, then I'll tell you what. We don't need to talk about it right now. We'll talk about it later. But uh, so that's my number eight, Dave Franco's The Rental, which uh, I'll I'll just say was one of the big surprises of the year for me. Right on, right on. Um, all right, so my number eight, which I think we're probably going to be able to blow past as well, is I'm Your Woman. We can blow right on past this. We will talk we will more about right I'm on Your past Woman. This fantastic movie, I'm Your yes. Woman, rocks. Yes, it does, and we'll talk a lot about it. I think. Uh, so, uh, so Ryan, we're back to you. What's your number eight? Uh, my number is uh, Soul, the uh, second movie from Pixar in 2020. Jesus, um, that's right. I didn't even that like didn't even register with my brain that they put two movies out this year. Wait, was yeah. that one? Onward? Oh, I forgot all about that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, which is pretty fun. Like, I think that's a good movie. Um, and they were supposed they were supposed to be March and like June, and this got pushed back to Christmas. Uh, so it would have been even tighter together. And yeah. um, Onward is from Pete Docter, who also directed uh, Monsters, Inc. and Up and Inside Out. Uh, so it definitely feels like a Pete Docter movie in the sense that it is talking about a very sort of abstract, heady concept, also tied strongly together with feelings and human emotion in a way that, like, you know, there is no other studio that ever tells these kinds of stories, um, let alone does it in a way that, again, is kind of like, targeting a mainstream audience and asking them to take a risk and sort of engage with that. Um, what I love about this movie is it is the story of a jazz musician who finally gets a big break in his career while he's teaching middle school jazz. Uh, and then he steps into an open manhole and dies. And then his, uh, as, as a soul, as a, you know, abstracted person is trying to get back to, um, the, uh, back to earth. Uh, he's mistaken. He ends up in a um, a pre-birth part of another dimension um, where he gets matched up with uh, soul number 22 as there's something like soul, like, you know, 17 billion, 850 million, blah, 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 like to Earth. Like she's been around. She's the 22nd soul that was ever has ever existed. And so she has gone through a ton of very high profile mentors that get referenced um and because she's never found her reason to live basically um like her reason to live to leave the cradle and go into earth uh and it just tells a really just interesting story about um you know a reason to live and where it sort of ends up is not necessarily that like oh you're like career or like the thing that you love the most is your reason for living like living is a thing that you should be doing like you should want to do regardless because there are cool things about just being alive um, and you know, there's a lot of really funny comedy that comes out of the various situations that they get up in, which I don't want to spoil because, uh, I went into them cold and I found those choices very Agreed. interesting. Um, so like, that's the basic setup of the movie. Uh, it's Jamie Foxx plays the lead character, uh, or voices the lead character and his voice performance is incredible. Incredible. Um, yes. like it, like it's this and collateral for like my two favorite Jamie Foxx performances, uh, because he feels like a full character and his voice is not his usual, like he, he is doing a voice also. He's not just doing the, like, 
oh, I'm a celebrity sitting in front of a microphone doing my thing. Um, like he really does create a character. And there's so much jazz music in this. Uh, the score was done by Trent, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. And then there's a bunch of jazz comp compositions that form like a soundtrack. And they also sort of collaborated to make sure that those two styles of music uh, kind of play off each other in an interesting way. Like uh, it's it's a phenomenal movie and seeing it a second time, you know, bumped it up a few places on my list because uh, like the first time I watched it, I was very surprised and very taken in and very fascinated by it. And the second time I just like felt the whole thing. Um, so I, de I definitely recommend people Check this out on Disney Plus, which you all have because you all saw The Mandalorian. Yeah, <laughs> I um, I'm just gonna. It's not on my list or anything, but I'm gonna second that. I thought Soul was just perfect. I, uh, with, I don't always uh, like I, I I've always enjoyed Pixar movies when I see them, and but I just never like seek them out. And it's definitely partially because I go, all right, this is gonna get heavy. Uh, we're gonna do a little growing over the next 85, 87 minutes. Let's do this. And it's always like, and I, I don't believe soul ever made me feel at a point where I was like, Ooh, this hurts. It's actually quite warm, but I was mm -hmm. moved all the same. I, I came out of it just as moved as Pixar movies typically want me to be, but uh, in a way that just, just felt so much warmer and life affirming than, than I expected. And it was so funny. I think the Jerry's are just the, the greatest invention. <laughs> yep. yeah. uh, it's, it's definitely uh, like there, it's got a little bit of the spirit of uh, Don Hertzfeld in some of the animation, which is very nice. And for a movie that deals with the idea of like of a man who's essentially afraid to die, I will say that they're the visual way that they chose to depict the great beyond, whatever that may be and all of its mystery is one that is very inviting and lovely. And it, it's I, they just really like I bug out about death quite regularly. And this movie soothes that uh, seemingly with little effort. It, it's yeah, got, really wonderful. I gotta say, this is like the first Pixar movie in quite a few years that I have wanted to see. I've not done that yet, uh, so I, I guess I don't want to see it like that bad. But it, it is the first one I've wanted to see in, in quite some time, so I'm, I'm pretty excited to check it out. Uh, I, I think I you'd like it, man. Yeah, I, I, I think you would. And uh, Rachel House gives another hysterically funny performance. Uh, mm. She's amazing. And she's very funny as uh, she's like heaven's uh, accountant, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, and she she it's a very Rachel Howe, like it, it's a role that feels like it was written for her based on her other performances. But she does very specific things with that are all, that are very funny. Cool. Very good. Um, yeah, there was one point where I was where it just occurred to me. I was like, wow, I'm watching a children's movie and I'm listening to the voice of Donnell Rawlings. This doesn't compute, but uh, it it works. He's, he does great. It's it's a wild it's a wild cast, but it's fantastic. Cool. Uh, should we move on to our number sevens? Number Let's sevens. Uh, my number seven is uh, directed by Max Barbacal. This is Palm Springs. Did this make anybody else's list this year? It did not, but it came close. Yeah, I uh, this movie uh, I watched twice over the course of quarantine. Well, we're not out of quarantine yet, so I watched it twice this year, uh, and uh, I liked it uh, like even more. I liked it a lot the first time. I liked it even more the second time. Uh, it, it this is another very good comedy, but it also so Andy Samberg has like become a favorite of mine, uh, like uh, especially just over the last like probably like two years. 
um, you know, I, I guess I've been a fan of his for a while, but in the last few years or so, I have kind of started to realize that, like, he's doing this very particular kind of comedy that is um, very warm and heartfelt, I think, despite being, like, just patently silly and absurd. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's It's not... It's very silly and absurd in a way that I've always liked comedy to be, but it lacks the cynicism of most of the absurd comedy that I feel like I I see. Uh, And I really, I think this year, appreciated that a lot, especially in a movie that ends up being about being stuck in a place for an extended period of time and how, you you know, that is meant to be a metaphor for, like, feeling stuck in life. But it came out in a yeah, year. Yeah, it's where about we were not all... breeding that cynicism. Right. Yes, and it happened to come out in a year where we were all like literally stuck. It didn't yeah. even need to be a metaphor. It was like we were all literally stuck. And this movie is like very much about how we choose to live, but also like who we choose to live with. And I thought that was like a really kind of beautiful thing that I certainly like grew to appreciate my partner so much this year uh, as I was, you know just stuck in a place with them, you know, and, and it made me appreciate a lot of people outside of my circle as well, because I couldn't see them, you know, I couldn't be around them. Um, I, I think that this movie like hits a lot of stuff that just, this is just one of those like time and place things where it's like a perfect mm. movie for 2020. Um, and, and it's just so It's warm. also like a cool Futurama episode. Yes. Yeah. It's a fun like sci-fi it, it flick. It uses a really cool device. Yeah, totally. Um, great performances too, not just from Sandberg, but uh, Kristen Milati is that how you say her name? Um, is very very funny in this. Uh, J.K. Simmons is great. Peter Gallagher, who I always love, has a great small role in this. This dentist fixes teeth. Uh, he's, <laughs> yeah. it's really fun. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I that really movie is a lot of fun, friends. man. I like that so much. Yeah. Yeah, and I I agree with everything that you that you say. I I had a blast watching it. I mean, I'm a sucker for time travel movies and time yeah. loop movies. Um, and the the way that this the way that both this and, like carries on the Happy Death Day tradition of like it assumes that you as an audience member have seen Groundhog Day, and so like <laughs> yeah. it, it bypasses a bunch of the stuff and like is able to just sort of pepper in its own rules about how this works, which are also very interesting, uh, and add a lot of uh, like not not complexity for complexity's sake, but complexity that is also reflected by the story it's trying to tell and the themes it's trying to get at, uh, which I thought was really really cool. And like, it's a very it's a very smart comedy. And I, I and again, like I have really come to love Andy Samberg and his little put him face. And you know, it's um, <laughs> like, you know, and he does that thing of like he plays you know a man who is in that that sort of man child character that we know so well from like every comedy from the past 20 years at this point mm-hmm. but i think you're right he plays it without us without cynicism and within an openness of someone who is stuck because they don't know how to be different mm-hmm. um in a way that is very sort of open and warm and like you know again like you get it but you're also like dude get over your shit and like we like you got to move on with your life you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I mean that I do think this movie actually has like a pretty powerful message underneath it that like comes through with his character in particular. I also think mm-hmm. this is a very good-looking comedy. Um mm-hmm. and not in any kind of yeah. extreme sense, but it has like a really nice color palette, a really nice sense of just sort of framing and editing and pacing and stuff. It like, looks like a movie. Yeah, yeah. So many comedy movies don't look like movies. They look like they filmed a show for an hour and a half. Yep. 
Yep. And that's fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. You're there for the comedy. But yeah, I think because this was so interesting in being a good sci-fi, in having a theme, you know, it's then the goofiness that the Lonely Island and Lonely Island adjacent things uh, comes out naturally as opposed to randomly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was a big fan of this. It ended up pretty high on my list. It stayed on my list pretty much all year. This is one of the ones that just like never really budged. Yeah, I, like I would nice. say this is the closest we've gotten in a few years to like a John Hughes type movie. Like it, it oh, very nice. much yeah. feels like a like planes, trains, and automobiles kind of vibe to it. Yeah, I, I totally see that and would not have made like, that connection. That's like a, that's a great, great thought. Yeah, and and you know, and that speaks to how cinematic it looks because you know, *Plane Street Automobiles* is actually a very cinematic movie when you sit down and actually watch it. Like, there's a lot of interesting shots. There's a lot of good blocking. Like, you know, the cinema serves the comedy, and the comedy serves the the, the cinematic nature of it. And I think I, I think *Palm Springs* does that super well, as well uh, yeah. too. Also has Agreed. a nice like bopping soundtrack. One of one of the really good like uplifting feel good soundtracks of the year. Mm. That's my number seven. All right, so I'm up. My, my number seven, I, I never would have expected this movie to make it on my list because I thought it was just going to be like a fun movie that I dismissed. And I, I, I think it made it here just because Jenna and I watched it together and we had such a good time. And quotes from this movie have now infected our household. But um, <laughs> the old West, but in the really old North showdown action thriller fat man (laughs) man this it's so weird but it has such touching characters uh it's it's you know it as (laughs) like mel gibson is a legitimate insane person but no matter what he looks like he can just draw a movie like he just is a fucking star i don't know how to describe it yeah and totally. him as old grizzled pissed off tired of the job santa claus who loves cookies <laughs> um he loves co- but in, like, but there's all these little touches like that like uh you know mrs claus always makes some cookies and he always like goes for them and she's like no no, no you can't have them your doctor is this and a little boy a little spoiled rich boy gets coal and uh because he was a, a bad kid so he hires a hitman walton goggins to kill Santa. And Walton Goggins also happens to have a personal vendetta against Santa. And so it is Santa, uh, you know, due to more and more naughty people in the world, the, you know, the, the workshop's not getting the work it needs. He's doing contracts for the government. You know, he's just like selling out his morals a little bit to keep the factory together while preparing for Christmas. And then, and there's this other movie of this spoiled rich kid and his hitman trying to track down the impossible man to find Santa Claus. And then it leads to a third act final showdown between the two. That's fucking bananas. It is so funny. And I just really the takeaway is that the, the character work is so strong and the world building through the character work is equally strong. That could just be a throwaway silly movie is actually, you know, it's, it's a movie movie with real themes and real ideas. And it is still also a goofy, violent movie about a hitman killing Santa. I really want to see this movie. This is like one that I'm looking forward to in that reluctant way that I often look forward to Mel Gibson movies. It's the dude's real good in it, but honestly it's Walden Goggins steals the show. 
yeah. because he is fucking unhinged <laughs> in his hatred towards Santa, who he will kill no matter what. And he will kill anybody who gets in the way of him, and he will like it. And <laughs> he's just insane. And it's just it's just real good, and it's it's a great holiday movie. But it also is the kind of movie that if it's not so saturated with holiday imagery that you would watch it out of season and be like, this feels out of place. Like it's it's mm-hmm. it's kind of a Christmas movie second. It just happened to be released at the right time. Right, right. But, you know, because he's barely sent. He's wearing like a Carhartt jacket. You know, <laughs> he's just it's Mel Gibson's actual fucking I don't shave because I live in a cave beard. <laughs> it's. But man, it's just something, and I, I loved it so much. So yeah, my number seven I'm, is Batman. Yeah, I'm, de- I'm definitely looking forward to checking this out when I can because uh, I love Santa Claus as like a a character in fiction, uh-huh. um, and I you know I, I rewatched all the Lethal Weapon movies uh, this past year for the first time since I was like a a small child who didn't even understand like that they were for adults. Like yeah. you were like, um, I'm too young for this shit. <laughs> uh, and like just watching the first one it's you know Mel Gibson is a movie star Dan like you said it you said it perfectly like he walks on screen and you're like I just can't I can't stop watching him and I don't think he's ever lost that and obviously he is a complicated figure and I'm not gonna ever you know like I'm not gonna recommend Mel Gibson movies to people but I think I've reconciled enough with uh, what his struggles are as a person Um to where I can say, well, you know, I can check them out on a case-by-case basis at least. And, you know, I can untangle my own feelings about them as part of watching this movie. Yeah. Um, you know, there are other people whose art I don't want to engage with. But I think his, at least from in my book, from my own personal perspective, uh, his art, especially when he's not directing, is distanced enough from his issues that I can sort of work those complicated feelings through watching the, the, uh, the product. I think that's fair. You know, he's he's earned he's earned the hate that he receives, and I think he's mm-hmm. earned the the acclaim that he's received. And you know, I'm I'm happy to exist somewhere in there. But really, come for the Gibson, but stay for the Goggins. Goggins is <laughs> is I I can't put it into words. And I just want to shout out the directors' names: Esham and Ian Nelms. Yeah, sorry, so, Dan, say say that one more time, guys. just to make sure it comes through clear. Oh, uh, Esham. And Ian Nelms, N E L M S, and it might be Esham. I've never seen that name before, but uh, awesome. They, yeah, they they made they made the hell, a hell of a weird movie, and so I, I enjoyed it. Thank you. Sorry, I made you repeat that. I just want to. I was like, for their sake, I want to make sure that one comes through clear on the absolutely. Uh, on yeah. The um, yeah. If if nothing I say comes through clearly, at least the credits <laughs> get <laughs> the <laughs> credits in there because <laughs> um, my. <laughs> Shout out the talent. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. All right. Uh, so my number seven is a documentary called Softy, uh, S-O-F-T-I-E. Um, this is a movie that uh, I don't think I know anyone else that has seen it. Um, I've never even heard you know, of this. In, yeah. So in, in being a film critic, this is one of the like hundreds of emails I got this year of like, you know, a filmmaker or like a very small promotional company, just like sending stuff to my inbox being like, Hey, here's a movie that's getting a release. Like there's, there were probably a thousand movies that came out on like, you know, video on demand rental this year that did not make a splash and were just hard to keep track of. But this is one that I wanted to highlight because when I got the email and sort of read the synopsis, I thought it was interesting. Um, And watching the movie, it, 
exceeded my wildest expectations. So it follows uh, Boniface Mwangji. Uh, he is a um, photojournalist turned political activist, now turned politician in Kenya. And it follows him like running for office under, you know, the Kenya is a democracy, but it is super corrupt. There's a lot of influence left over from British colonialism. And the like this movie is only 90 minutes. It gives you like the, you know, uh, spark notes history of why Kenya is the way that it is. Um, and then also like tells his story specifically and then goes even further to say, like, you know, is it worth what he's putting into it? And you can really see him struggle with, you know, his wife is like, why can't you just settle on being a good father to our kids and spend time with them instead of running around, you know, trying to run for office and doing political stuff? You're putting yourself at risk for being assassinated for one, you know, or disappeared or having to flee the country. Uh, and he's like, well, but I'm doing this so that like our kids have a better country to live in. And seeing someone like actually struggle with that going back and forth of, you know, he's a very talented, very smart person who I'm sure could do well for himself and like put his family in the best like purely economic situation that they could be. Uh, but he cares, he does actually care that much about, you know, the state of his country and its future. And he sees the potential there that he wants to spend all his time working on that. Um, you know, and it was just interesting to spend time in Kenya for this, you know, hour and a half documentary where like they're handing out political flyers the same way that we would. And they're listening to music the same way that we listen to music. They're wearing Star Wars t-shirt. It's like, you know, the world is very small now and kind of zooming in on this sort of one person in this one situation, you know, it reminded me of stuff that we go through that we've been going through in this country, you know, and not just for the past four years. So it's a super compelling story. I think, again, the documentary does like makes it so that you understand all the context in a way that is like sort of rapid fire, but not done in a clever way. Just like, here's what you need to know about the situation to understand the context of this person's journey. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it sounds super yeah. compelling. Uh, yeah, so if if, if you're to... super and if, yeah, if you're inclined, definitely check it out. Because like I said, I just found it's a super like every like ten minutes, I was like, oh my god, like this could be a whole movie. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and and he's just a very captivating, like, just a captivating figure. Like you can like I was like, oh, I would totally want to you know help him out and volunteer and just spend time around this guy. Um, do you know where this is available, if anywhere, Ryan? Um, I think I'm sure it's still available for digital rental on whatever platforms, but I don't yeah. think it's like been picked up by like a streaming okay. service. But it's okay. Softy S O F T I E. Okay, that sounds really compelling. I'm probably gonna try and find that. Um, I've seen if it's on any services, it does not look like it right now. Okay. It just seems very little known. Nice. I will have to keep my eye out for it. That's cool. Um, That's a great recommend. That's awesome. Uh, All right. So here's my number six. I don't know if this will be on anybody else's list or any higher or anything. Let me know if it is. Uh, My number six is Lee Wanell's The Invisible Man. Is that on uh, anybody else's list? No, it is not. All right. Uh, this was one of the you know only movies I saw in a theater this year. 
you know, one of very few anyway. Uh, and uh, this was probably the best cinematic experience that I had all year. This movie is like supremely cinematic. It's got this a like, great wide photography uh, that is like really just uh, in the way that Dan, you and I have always talked about. It follows that wide photography sort of it draws your eye in in a way that is stressful. Uh, this movie sort of uh, amplifies that. Uh, and uh, it just features this like incredible Elizabeth Moss performance. Uh, I really like Aldous Hodge in this movie, who plays like her uh, cop friend that kind of takes her in. Um, I think oh. there's like a really nice example here of like, um, you know, how to help people that are, dis- you know, in distress. Um, mm. he, he, there, there's just a really beautiful relationship that kind of develops there. Uh, that, Dude, that he's like in, uh, he's in one night in Miami and mm-hmm. he's fantastic in one night. That movie's really yeah. great, but he's fantastic in it. He plays uh, Jim Brown. Not oh, James, cool. Jim. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, I liked him in this movie a lot. Uh, I, I just, um, yeah, I don't know. This is like, to me, this was like one of the kind of like high entertainments of the year. You know what I mean? And, and then, not empty. Right, right, yeah. I mean, it's like, it, it's one of the high entertainments that then also actually, like, has really something to say. Like, this is like a, you could kind of say is like a revenge fantasy movie, um, but it even, it takes the trauma experienced by this character, like, so seriously, uh, while still being a fun, compelling genre movie. She runs into the same obstacles that a woman in a similar position to her would run into with all supernatural elements removed. Right, yes. You know, she runs into the same real-world obstacles, and that's that's an interesting thing to put into the movie for that reason. And I think it's integrated extremely well here, especially since it's the kind of thing that I think can turn an audience off and, um, you know, just upset people or, or trigger people, and, it, and it's I think it's handled very well. Yeah, I also, watching it a second time, it occurred to me uh, that it's kind of an interesting, fun idea that I don't think I've seen before for the Invisible Man to be a haunted house movie. Like, of yeah. course, that's what you should do with an Invisible Man. Like, he's an Invisible Man. He's literally a living ghost. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and so it's like th- that is kind of what this movie is. It's like half of it is kind of a haunted house movie. Uh, and I that didn't even occur to me watching it the first time. Uh, and I think that's like a really fun I like that it- way to do that. I like that it maintains the science fiction element of the original story, um, but updates it in a way that I think, you know, I kind of brushed up against it first and then grew to really appreciate. But I also just think Lee Lee Winnell as a filmmaker, he is such like a nuts and bolts. Like he he can use the the CGI and stuff, but like a lot of it is like cool in camera shit. And there, there is so much fun, just kick-ass filmmaking contained in Invisible Man. Uh, the only reason it's not on my list is just because I there was other things I wanted to talk about more, yep. um, and I figured it would come up. Yep. Yeah, the, I, I loved this movie. We we bought this movie. like I saw it early in the year in theaters and then watched it again recently because I have it on Blu-ray. Um, loved it. I'd like to get the blue. It's a beautiful movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I missed it in the theater uh, because I just didn't quite get to it before theaters were no longer a thing. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, I did buy blind buy the Blu-ray when it was on sale, and I I enjoyed I enjoyed this movie a lot. I figured it was going to be on a bunch of other lists, especially on Cinema Seventy Six, given our our crew. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I didn't really think, necessarily think about it in terms of my personal end of year list, but I, I had a hell of a fun time watching it, even at home on my couch. And you know, I, I 
it's among the many movies this year that I wish I could see in a theater just to get that sort of extra part of the experience. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it definitely, I mean, like... This the one was... Uh, Go ahead, Dan. Uh, uh, about a week before quarantine was when this movie came out. And I remember I was supposed to go see the screener with y'all, and I got food poisoning. Oh, right. To the point where, like, I couldn't even stand up. And I will forever associate this movie with the worst case of food poisoning I ever had. And I just remember for, like, two days sitting there with the spins, like, I can't wait for this to end so I can purchase a ticket to Invisible Man. Uh, and little did i know that in a week our world would be defined by sickness right crazy Um, i was like could this get worse let me out of the house uh uh, yeah that's my that's my number six man the movie rocks all right so we're at sixes all right so i thought it was interesting what you said about the last movie ryan uh my number six is sort of the same thing like it was just an email that i randomly got from a filmmaker that was like you got to check out this movie and it's the kind of thing that honestly like i i would typically just breeze past but something about it grabbed me and so i went for it and ended up falling down this crazy rabbit hole with a movie called murder death koreatown and murder death koreatown i don't know who directed it because they commit to the bit Harder than I've ever seen anyone commit to the bit. The story is simple. It is a found footage movie based around an actual murder that happened in an alleyway behind this dude's uh, apartment. So this movie is shot on a cell phone, and it's this guy saying, some things about this murder that I'm hearing don't add up, and I'm going to investigate by hitting the streets and just talking to anybody. And it starts to become apparent that there might be part of this might be something big and conspiratorial. Or our man with the cell phone camera has lost his damn mind. We don't know. And the fact that it's at this nexus of true crime and found footage and actually invokes a true crime in a way that, that uh, you know, that, that uh, it kind of gives me the willies because I don't even understand. Like, I, I can't speak to the ethics of it. I still have to parse that out. But it feels new, and it feels like this crazy idea that someone committed to. I, I bought the Blu-ray. The envelope arrived, and the return address is redacted with scissors. It's cut out. Um, I entered a contest on the website, and through that, interacted with who I'm guessing is the filmmaker behind it. And I can't get a name or anything out of them. They just refer to themselves as MDK. And every communique comes with warnings to destroy the Blu-ray if you ever want to get rid of it. You know, destroy it. Like, it's just weird shit that they've committed to creating this world. And it's utterly fascinating. And it's another movie that I cannot promise you'll enjoy it if you watch it. But when it ends, you will be upset by it. You will have been made fearful by it. And you'll be just fascinated by the project of the thing. Uh, whether you whether I can say you'll enjoy it or not, notwithstanding. But Murder, Death, Koreatown, I... I implore you to at least poke around the rabbit hole that it's creating because it's such a fascinating thing to have done with quarantine and with film and and i don't know if it was made in quarantine but just a fascinating thing to have done and to have done now when true crime is hot and when handheld filmmaking and tiktok kind of things are taken off it's it's just wild and i waste time explaining it because it's not explainable just see it and (laughs) and and feel it out it's it's just something else. I, I don't. When I said at the top of my list, movies that show me something new, this is what I'm referring to with that sentence more than anything else. I've never seen anything like it. And it's that kind of shit excites me because it's new cinema. 
I'm really looking forward to this. You've talked about it a few times, and every time you've talked about it, I've gotten like a little more interested in it. You know what I mean? Like mm. it worms into my brain a little more that I'm like, yeah, I do want to see that. And I assure you, I'm explaining it poorly. It's it's yeah. and it's it's one that when it ends, you'll then go digging out for information and trying to tie stuff together, and then it becomes something else entirely. Then, and it's all intended. And so, or I just am a degenerate, and and that's all this is. But who knows? <laughs> you're not the yeah. only person I've seen uh, highly recommend this movie, by the way. So I don't think you're ju- just a de- degenerate. I'd like to hold on to <laughs> that being a possibility. Okay, all right, all right. It's important. <laughs> we have that. But yeah, it's. I highly <laughs> recommend it, and I think that I think that anyone who listens to our show will be pleased they hunted it down. Um, they they won't feel like they they wasted their time with it. All right. Uh, so my number six, uh, I don't know if it'll come up again later, but it is uh, The Nest. Not a mine. It will not. All right. So this is uh, a movie from Sean Durkin, uh, who directed uh, Martha Marcy May Marlene, uh, which was uh, Elizabeth Olsen's kind of breakout role. That's a movie that I have not seen since I saw it in the theater, and yet I can like replay most of the movie in my head a decade later. Dude, same. Um, same. Yeah. It, like that movie and Garrett, like that's a movie. If you haven't seen, you should definitely check out because have, it nah, will, it, it will speak to you. Yeah. I, I'm very familiar with the premise. It's something and that it's I, got a great John Hawks. Yeah. Um, and so I've been waiting for his follow up, follow up movie. He did some TV thing that I'm sure is great, but I will probably never watch, uh, in between, <laughs> but, uh, this movie is a married couple played by Jude Law and Carrie Coon, uh, in the eighties. And uh, they're living in America. And he's like, you know what, wife? I feel like I could do better uh, if we moved back to my home of England, even though I said that we would live here when we got married. And she's like, all right, if that's the way you feel, because uh, she does a bunch of stuff with horses. So she's like, you know, I can relocate and it's, you know, I can find a new kind of spot in the world, whatever. Um, so they pack up their whole family. They move to England. Obviously, he's still insanely unhappy. Um, it takes place in the 80s. So it has that sort of like Reagan, uh, Margaret Thatcher time period of like, I have to be the most successful person. It doesn't matter who gets in my way, like, or what I have to, you know, compromise whatever ethics I have left. Uh, I need to make the biggest pile of money. I need to have the best house, the flashiest cars, the best suits, the best watch. And uh his for the first like 45 minutes of this hour and a half movie you actually have no idea what the movie is actually about because it is very like slice of life you're just watching this guy go through life and then around that 45 minute mark the cracks start to show and you really start to dig into what's actually going on and like what he says is not always the case of what things actually are and like and it, it's handled in such a way that it's not sensationalized. It is very, like, matter-of-fact as you start to sort of, like, peel back the layers from this dude. Um, you know, I sort of compare the couple in this to uh, Walter White and Skylar White in Breaking Bad, where, like, mm-hmm. you get oh, why they're together, and you're like, God, you are such an asshole, but also I understand why this marriage continues to exist. <laughs> um, yeah. And... By the end of the movie, it's just them sort of sitting with the choices that they've made. Uh, and it's like the final scene is them and their kids like sitting around having breakfast. And it's the most like 
depressing like the weight of everything that has happened is just sitting on all of their shoulders and they're not speaking a word to each other because there is nothing to say about it except to just like shut up and eat your cereal yeah it's not even like an enticing breakfast at that point either right (laughs) i uh that's that's a movie that probably would have made my list had i a chance to see it a second time because i was really blown away by it the first time but i saw it a while back so it just kind of fizzled in memory but it's it's one of those movies that's like it it has that uh that real world feel, but it also has that like classic movie feel in the way that yep. they speak to one another. Like mm-hmm. it simultaneously doesn't feel heightened, but it feels like a mo- like a movie. And it's like the the wardrobe is killer, and Carrie Coon in this classic wardrobe just just gnawing at the scenery is. It's about time that she got a chance to like a lot of her ones that are strong but fade into the background even in something like Fargo season three or I, I always thought she was great in Gone Girl even though like a small spot but like this was a chance for her to like I always joke and said that she goes like full Kate Blanchett here where she is just like I'm gonna act as hard as I can and you're gonna love it um and you know that kind of uh short sells it because it's a, a bit of a different thing Coon's a different presence but it's really her like getting to just show off the fact that she is a very seriously talented actress that can carry something, you know, atypical like this. It, the best is really fantastic. I'm glad this came up. Yeah. And the, and the reason that it ended up at number six on my list is because like I watched it and I was like, Oh, like that was like an interesting story. Like the acting's really good or whatever. And then it was like two days later where I was like, I cannot stop thinking about this movie, even though I've watched five other movies since. Um, and so like, because it stuck with me so much, I was like, I have to put it at a place where it really deserves to be on my list. Yeah, I'm looking nice. this is another one that I am looking forward to seeing at some point. Mostly because I'm uh very interested in these uh two lead performances. I keep hearing like really, really good things about uh that in particular. All right, what are we at? Uh number five. My number five. Uh another one from the show here, Dan. Uh Dinner in America, directed by Adam Raymeyer. Uh, and we had Adam on the show. Uh, I really recommend people check that episode out. Uh, if you can see the movie before listening to the episode, you should. Though I do not know how Agreed. available this is yet. Uh, I think this one is still kind of uh, trying to find its release. I, I, I think. That's... Yeah, this played at, at two festivals last fall. I believe it was. Uh, I didn't... Fest. And then was it Nightstream or I, I don't know. It was that a couple. I'm going to fuck it up. But uh, yes, yeah, so I think it was Finding Release. But man, what a great movie. Yeah, I loved this movie so much. And it's like so this movie reminded me most of like Joseph Kahn's detention as far as tone. If you're trying to figure out what you might be getting into here, it's very uh, kinetic and abrasive. Um, it's got this really incredible score that reminds me of this musician I like uh, called Tobacco. Uh, if you're familiar with that. Um, and it has these great lead performances from Kyle Gallner and Emily Skaggs uh, as a punk rocker and like a heavily medicated, uh, I don't know, like post-teenager, you know, like early 20-something, I would say, uh, respectively. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, it's just about these two, you know, like uh, weirdos, these these two just kind of uh, uh, ne'er-do-wells uh, that, that just, I don't know, are, are eking out, barely eking out in existence in very unhappy lives and find just the tiniest, tiniest piece of like happiness in each other. 
And that like little bit of happiness they find in each other was like one of the most emotional things I saw in a movie in 2020. It I, I, I this movie starts in a place where I really actually like almost started actively disliking it and ended in a place where I could not have been more in love with these characters and could not have wanted better things for them. It has like a been... really unique dramatic tone yeah. and a really unique unique comedic tone yeah. that both mix in weird ways and are hard to describe. But it's uh, Ray Meyer does such a good job of like inviting you into that tone that like because it's the same kind of thing. Like when it started, I was like, all right, I think I know what I'm getting into here. And it might be like it might be a little dated, like like I'm thinking like Napoleon Dynamite, where it's like, yeah, this might be the type of humor that would have played a little while back. Right. And then almost immediately, you know, you know, 10 minutes in, you go, oh, no, this is a different thing entirely. Yeah. And uh it just kind of puts its its big bushy tattooed arms around you and is like, you get the joke, come on in. And <laughs> and uh, I'm just doing an impression of the director. And then, yeah. um, but no, but it, and and it ends up uh, I don't know. It it feels wholesome despite being like crass and punk rock and shit. It's yeah, it's a great, it's a really, great, it's like a, a legitimately great movie. Yes, totally agree. I, I mean, it's one of uh, a few movies that made me cry this year. I this I really had an emotional experience with this movie, and uh, I sing the song to myself quite frequently. Yeah, me too, man. It's yeah, it's got this like great the the music uh, of the world of the movie is also really great, uh, and in particular, there's like an exceptional scene of the two characters writing a song together. Uh, that Adam told us a story about him and the lead actress basically essentially writing together in like a half hour. Yeah, uh, basically doing the scene in real yeah. life. Yep. Uh, and it's like, and it's a, just a tremendous pop song, basically, that that really is still like in my head. I know the words. I know the melody. It, it's, uh, yeah, really loved this movie. And I, I really can't wait for more people to get to see this. Right on. Yeah, I, Great. I, I'm really looking forward to whenever it becomes available for you to watch. Just based on your guys' reaction to it, it's it's something I have to watch. And and by the way, this is another movie where I had not heard of this movie until Dan was like, "Hey, we could get this director on the show. Do you want to watch his movie?" I had never heard of Adam before. I had not heard about this movie. This was like totally off my radar. Were it not for you know it, uh, it being like available at a festival this year, you know. Not not that different from the sort of screener emails that you get. Uh, this mm -hmm. was just just like basically a movie that comes across your desk and just like blows you out of the uh, you know blows you away. Yeah, it, it was cool. And, and shout out to to all of the uh, Dinner in America uh, people because they found us, and uh, you know it was only through them that we were able to see it and and have Adam on the show. So uh, yeah. yeah, just shout out to them. That was real cool. And, that was one of my very favorite episodes because he was such a cool guy. And we mostly talked about Chuck Norris and not dinner in America. So it's yeah. <laughs> good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> He's and, a and wild dude. That's a, and uh, to, I guess to pay them the highest compliment, I, I could pay them like this movie is number five on my list because I loved this movie that much. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it just, it really hit me that hard. Uh, I, I really, really loved this movie. So I, I I'm excited for it to uh, get a, a wider release. Ryan, when you did that just now and like and and wiped your glasses with your sleeve, the motion that you did, it looked like you were about to like lift up a baby, and so it registered <laughs> my head. It's like, what? Did, what the fuck did I miss? Like, what happened? And uh, I was, I got real excited, and then, but it was like within that split second, I was like, wait, no, no, it's just gonna be Sophie. And then when it was just a glasses clean, I was like, oh, it's, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just way too tired that's what's happening 
Oh, like the I'm idea. glad that you got to live that emotional roller coaster. Yeah. It was incredible. It was the highlight like, of my day. I like the image of Ryan as a dad who's like, look, I have to podcast. So he's just been like feeding a baby slightly off camera for the last like hour, you know? I mean, like, though. Oh, I was, I was just going to say, like, if I do ever have a baby, there's a 95% chance of that happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just find it very believable. I think that you would be such an effective father that you could quite, you would have a baby quiet for the entirety of a two hour podcast. Yeah. Uh, and just because, you know, you, you, you're doing it right. So it, it would have been believable. Totally. Agree. Dan, you're, you're, you're making me all verklempt. I, uh... Uh, talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> Discuss. Durand Durand well, you know either Duran or Duran. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a real one? That's yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. I um I actually uh, recently followed an Instagram account that is just the old uh, Jack Handy, the Deep Thoughts is Jack Handy. Yeah, oh, that's and awesome. it's been a great trip down memory lane. Those are great. They are. Um, all right, so number five, I think we're going to be able to talk about this now. Um, but y'all know I love me some Mike Pancake, oh, which yeah. means that number five is his directorial debut, Dave Franco, of course, uh, The Rental. Oh yeah. Uh, this movie rules, co-written by Joe Swanberg. Starts as a mumble gore, uh, uh, double crossing, dating, sexy thriller with horror overtones, and slowly turns into one of the most terrifying, uh, one of the most uh, really cool image laden and very well constructed slashers of recent memory. And the cast is just game, they try to tie all of these weird like real world elements into it uh but in a way that both like invokes a couple real world concerns but also has them as like potential plot teases it's Mm -hmm. filled with very natural and organic red herrings some of which pay off some of which don't but i was on my heels the entire time uh, i was watching this movie but it's like kind of funny it's like kind of like fucked up and and uh you know like trashy and soap operatic at points yeah um but when it finally lets rip, it's uh, really upsetting. It's really exciting. It's intense, uh, and and I don't know. It's if a if a horror mo- like horror movies are scary because you care about the characters, but horror movies are compelling because the plot is interesting. And this kind of really has a great ratio of you know plot unspooling and characters that that you can at least uh, you know jive with the the motivations of enough that it. it I don't. I, I could speak the praises of this forever. The rental is just really like not at all what I expected. Uh, like someone like like Mike Pancake, it's weird that this would be what he directs. Mm-hmm. But then the fact that he pulls out this like pretty wicked little horror movie out of his ass, it's like oh man, that's like that speaks. Uh, you know, it's a, it just speaks to, to some talent that I didn't foresee. I, dude, I totally agree. Like I think this is legitimately a very well directed movie. Um, which is, you know, uh, I, I don't know. I, for some reason, this is going to sound insulting to him, but I just, for some reason, like you're saying, it's like, I don't know why, but I would not have expected that from Dave Franco, especially just, I thought as he a would do something artsy, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. And it doesn't have, it doesn't have as many first time filmmaker problems. Like there's actually a vision here. And yeah. I think that's what surprises me about yeah. it is because oftentimes when people make the jump to directing, they, I don't want to say they play it safe, mm-hmm. but uh it's just like oh i can i can do something 
to get my foot in the door and then I'll make something weird. But then every once in a while you get someone who, you know, like, I don't know if this is on the level of like a get out where it's like, damn, this guy's a fucking talent. Right. But it's the kind of thing where you go, wow, Dave Franco had a vision and he, he executed it in a way that I don't think is hindered by, by the fact that he's already a celebrity with, with connections and stuff. It was, I'm just so impressed. And it's Uh, scary. I, it's scary. It's a new idea. Yeah. And I'm with you, Dan. Like the other thing is, uh, like, I do think like often direct uh, actors that that direct like usually one of their first movies is something that they star in. And this very much feels like a movie that he could have starred in if he was, you know, it feels like a movie yeah. that he almost should be in. But I really kind of, I, I think it is probably all the better for him deciding to like cast it and direct it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like as, a, as opposed to star in it uh, as well. Uh, and, and I just, I, I'm with you. Like to me, it was like, I didn't know what I was getting into. It turned out, I thought I did. And then as the movie kind of progressed and started to evolve and suddenly became like my favorite genre of movie at a time when I feel like I don't get a lot of new movies that are that genre of movie either. You know, like I was like, Oh my God. I was like, I was suddenly like so thrilled which isn't even to say that I wasn't like, I was liking the movie that I was watching and thought yeah. I was getting into. Cause like the, the scene I think about most Dan is the scene in the hot tub, uh, which is like probably a 10 minute. That's scene. pre-horror. Yeah. It's a 10 minute scene of just dialogue between these two characters that is so compelling and legitimately thrilling because it's full of tension. This movie is like, mm-hmm. this movie is nonstop tension, it, but it's ringing tension out of, different kinds of scenarios and situations that are not always horror. They just are all horror adjacent, right? They're all surrounding this kind of like underlying sense of like something is wrong here, you know? And when horror hits, these little plot machinations are immediate accelerators to that. Like they, like they multiply the horror exponentially already. Like it's built in. So when something horrible happens, you're like, that's fucked up. Oh, and that means this. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and then it's, yeah. And what's really cool is the thing that it leaves you with at the end of, and this is why you at home should be scared. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is also not where I was expecting it to go. Right. But I now have that fear. It's, <laughs> it's like really, you know, like we always say, like, oh, you know, you think, you think about Psycho in the shower, you know? Yeah. yeah. This is, I will think about, you know, in, in certain situations. But if you, uh, did you, Watch random acts of violence. I have not. I would like okay. to see that because that's another one that I. It wasn't quite as 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 artful as the rental was for me, but I got that same feeling where I, when I was watching, I was like, oh, you know what? Here's a good slasher. Oh, cool. There's a good slasher happening here, and I don't always see them. I mean, they have some thematic weight to it too, but uh, I would recommend that, especially on the heels of the rental. It's just and another actor doing some directing. Yeah, that's Jay Baruchel, right? There, yeah, and he's directed a couple other things, but yeah. you know, it's very clear that that he uh, is a, a horror guy. Cool, cool, yeah, dude. I'm so glad that this uh, made your list this high too. Like, th- this feels right too. Like, I, you know, th- honestly, this is great. these top five are essentially a tie. You know, yeah, yeah, like yeah, they yeah. were all they were all in the one slot for a while. And the rental was like the first movie I saw this year where I was like, oh, that's going to be there. That's yeah, gonna be yeah, one yeah. of the first. I think this is after my next one. But, you know, yeah. we'll get there. I'm, so, I'm yeah, that's my five is much. the rental. I'm pretty much with you, by the way. My, my top five is just kind of was shuffled around a bunch over and over again because it's, yeah. it's all kind of interchangeable for me. Um, awesome. Cool. I'm glad we got to talk about that. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to checking out the rental at some point. I just haven't quite gotten to it yet. Um, I think you'd enjoy it. I yeah. really do. Yeah, no, I, 
I based on what again based on what you guys have just said, I know that I will. It's just with you know everything. It's uh, I'll I'll get to it though. Uh-huh. I'll have to see where it pops. Have up. Also, by the way, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, movie, movie favorite. Uh, Dan Stevens plays a tremendous asshole in this movie, and uh, I love when he plays like at like he's done this a couple of times now, and he's such a charming man that it ends up being really fun to watch him just shed that and just be a flat out dick, you know. And he's good at it. It's it's pretty fun to watch. Yeah, he's a real guy, and also uh, one of the leading uh, the leading ladies is Sheila Vand. Yeah, who is the star of A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Oh, I didn't know oh, she was in that movie so too. Okay, cool. If that if that draws you to it more, Ryan, uh, and she's yeah. fantastic in it. I, she is. I love that movie, and if anything, that will uh, certainly draw Jill, uh, my wife, into it because she loves uh, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. So that movie's um, so good. Uh so good. Um, yeah, that's, a, that is a, that's a movie that gets better the more you think about it and the more that you watch it because the, the visual of her on that skateboard is so yes. perfect and then means so many different things over the course of that movie. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, that movie's fantastic. Um, uh, sadly, not my number five because it's not a new release, but, uh, <laughs> yes. my number five <laughs> Uh, my number five is Mank, um, David Fincher's new movie. Um, I enjoy, like, I, the David Fincher week that we did leading up to Mank's release is one of my favorite things that we did on Cinema 76 this year. I think we wrote, like, ten different pieces about Fincher's movies. And I don't think any of us would necessarily claim that he's, one like, one of our guys. Uh, but I think his movies are so worth discussing and so fun to dig into that they're fun to write about. Um, and you know, I of course chose to write about his use of color, and then he makes a movie that is entirely without color, uh, which I did not think about at the time that I was writing it. I but think that, um, that's awesome. I think the the fact that Manx in black and white makes that color article more valid, um, you know, because it just <laughs> it's well, like it speaks to this idea that of like he is a man who does consider these tools color or the lack of it. Sure. True, and I appreciate that, Dan. Um, uh, and I think you know, there's a this movie is the sort of it's not the making of Citizen Kane, which I think is the best thing about it is that it's not that. And I think my love of this movie not doesn't stem from my familiarity or my enjoyment of Citizen Kane so much as it comes from the fact that I watched a shit ton of movies on Turner Classic Movies this year, so I just feel more steeped in Hollywood movies than. Uh, I ever have been at any other point in my life. And also, you know, listening to a bunch of You Must Remember This, um, Karina Longworth's amazing podcast about stories from Hollywood. And this is a Hollywood story. And I think viewing it through that lens made me enjoy the movie more because I was not looking at all or paying attention to like Easter eggs for things that would show up in Citizen Kane. And the movie also isn't like, you know, it's not like uh, Mank like is like skiing and he sees a kid being really happy on a sled and he's like, "That's gonna be Rosebud." Like, you know, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's not that movie. <laughs> like, it's not that movie at all. Um, and you know, it's populated with great performances. Like, the only reason that it's not higher on my list is because I think Gary Oldman is like the weirdly the weak link in this movie because the supporting cast is incredible. Amanda Seyfried gives probably my favorite performance of the entire year. 
Um, and it's so much based on like presence and creating a character and then revealing the different layers of who that character is and how she thinks about and experiences the world over the course of her appearances through the movie. Um, you know, this was when I swung back to rewatch before finishing this list. And it, it's, it's a movie that I just settled into. Like there's so much that I could go on about in terms of like the blocking and the way that it casts certain things and the way that it shows certain things. And the fact that Bill Nye, the science guy plays Upton Sinclair, <laughs> Upton Sinclair. Um, <laughs> like, uh, but yet, well, what, the experience I have of watching it is like being in a comfy armchair and just like sitting down and experiencing like somebody telling you a cool story about a thing, you know, behind the story. It's like that, like Paul Harvey, like now, you know, the rest of the story and like the rest where it starts. Of the story. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and like where it starts and where it ends up, like almost doesn't matter because you're just enjoying being in this world and learning about these characters. And then, you know, I don't care whether or not it ties back to the real history. Uh, again, for me, it's like just sinking into a good story about a thing that I love, which is learning about Hollywood. So, dude, I, I did said you said that wonderfully. That movie kicks ass. Um, I don't know if I was like, as it, but I did watch it two days in a row. Uh, there was just something about it that's like very cozy and enjoyable to watch. And, you know, it's I, it's far from my favorite Fincher. But watching this movie, I was like, I can see Fincher just sitting there cheesing like a nine year old boy. Like I'm playing with favorite toys, you know, and mm -hmm. when I see him as a guy who's usually just like, I want to make that edge sharper because, you know, fucking rock and roll, you know, like he's that kind to see him just like, oh, you know, that that is so endearing. Um, from a guy who I, I imagine to be like cold and cool, he's kind of geeking out, and uh, that's always fun to watch. And yeah, and I agreed on Seyfried. She was, uh, she lights up that whole movie. And like mm -hmm. when I close when I close my eyes and picture that movie, the shot I'm picturing is her smile. Yep. Yeah, for sure. I got to see this one. I got nothing to contribute here, boys. This is another <laughs> one that uh, you know I was like, I'll see that at some at some point. Mm -hmm. What I think you might like about it, Garrett, is especially if you end up watching it twice, which I know could be a tall order because it's a long one. But like, it's a movie that like once you kind of know its structure, it's really funny. And like, yeah. there's some things regarding uh, Manx like alcoholism that are simultaneously tragic, disgusting, and like bust bust a gut hilarious. Um, <laughs> it's it's the weirdest management of tone, but there's a lot of it in there that that I. You know, I appreciate, but uh, it's yeah, yeah, it's a cool movie. I'm glad that came up because it was not on my list. Yeah, and and Mank Mank also fits in with Shirley and Jim, Jim Cummings and, and Snow Hollow, where like I don't want to be in the same room with him, but <laughs> I love watching him and like I feel for him and also like, dude, get your shit together, like all yeah. at the same time. So cool. Yeah, and a great Charles dance performance too. I love a yeah. good dance with the dance man and dance man shows up and cuts a motherfucking rug. It is. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Nice. Um, all right. Uh, my number four is, uh, Richard Stanley's color out of space. This will be coming up again shortly. We'll talk about it shortly then. Cool. Cool. L love um, and this I, I, crazy movie. I'm so excited. We'll get into it because that we'll is get a, into it. That looks like a nutty one. I think we may be able to blow through my number four too, but my number four is Defy Bloods. Uh, that will be coming up later. 
All right. What's your four, Ryan? I'm loving this pace. My four, I believe we will also be able to blow <laughs> right by for now because it is another Spike Lee movie, David Byrne's American Utopia. Yeah, yeah. We got to move on. We got to keep going. Let's keep running this race. Okay. So what's your three, Garrett? <laughs> my number three, I think we could talk about this movie now. Uh, my number three is uh, directed by Julia Hart, and it's called I'm Your Woman. Uh, we can talk. Right? We can talk about this movie now? Okay. Yeah, this yeah. was my number eight. Yeah. Yeah. You heartily recommended this movie. It's the, it's the reason Tori and I sort of like sought it out. Uh, Tori's a big fan of uh, Rachel Brosnahan, uh, I believe from uh, the... Uh, the Ms. Maisel show, right? Marvelous the, Mrs. Maisel. Yeah. I just turned into your dad for a second, Dan. I couldn't remember what the show was actually called and just called it by the name of a character. And yeah, a Ms. Maisel uh, show. Frank's on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so Tori's a big fan of her from that. So we were like, okay, let's do it. Like, let's put it on. Not, not really knowing what to expect, even having talked to you about it. Like, you had done a pretty good job of, like, selling the movie without really... I, I still didn't feel, feel like I knew anything about it, really. And that is very much to this movie's favor. I really like the way this movie just kind of unfolds. Uh, it 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 is it it. I mean, it's set in 1970. I mean, it's to me the most remarkable thing about the movie is the production design. Honestly, it's the like, period detail is impeccable. It's, it's, it's so it's crazy good. I, when you think about the fact that that is actually 50 years ago at this point. Uh, and I don't think this was a you know highly budgeted movie. It's remarkable to me that this is like so it really feels like 1970 in this movie. I really, really liked that about it. But it also it's a 70s crime. Th- I mean, it feels like a 70s movie. It's paced like a 70s movie. Mm-hmm. It's I got think a real is there is. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Uh, the, the period detail is not necessarily. I couldn't speak as to whether it's accurate to the 1970s. But yeah. it's extremely accurate to what the 1970s looks like in a movie. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that is where, like, really grabbed me. And once again, what does this, what does a 1970s car chase, car chases, crime thriller, crime thriller look like? Uh, it looks like this, but it also doesn't look like this because this is about the wife. Right, yeah. And so it's like the first time that it's like a, a it's, it's this thing that I love done in all the ways that I love it, but with a brand new lens and, yeah. and a new angle, which is so exciting. Yeah, so, Dan, you recommended this movie to Garrett, and then Garrett's reaction to this movie made me go, oh, shit, I have to watch that. And then I watched it and recommended it to, like, four other people who all watched it. Um, because, so, I've never seen a Maisel. Uh, so, I, <laughs> like, Rachel Brosnahan is kind of, like, new to me, but I was totally blown away by her performance. And the fact that, like, this movie is not just about the wife, but it's also about uh, there's a bunch of black characters who are also a part of this world. And the fact that it is showing specifically people who are on the margins of like your good fellas, your godfathers, yeah. like, you know, this is almost like finding out about like, uh, uh, not just Karen, but then also like Stax's family, like Samuel L. Jackson's yeah. character's family in Goodfellas. Like, you know, they crack a lot of jokes about him and his lifestyle, but then this like fills in a bunch of those gaps while also telling, you know, its own story. Uh, and I just found that super compelling and the way that those relationships unfold and sort of like the fact that like she never like you know there's one of my favorite lines in goodfellas is when the cop is like don't give us the babe in the woods routine karen like yeah rachel brosnahan in this movie is the babe in the woods like she actually doesn't really know what's going on and like seeing her have to fill in those gaps and how that changes 
her relationship with her husband who isn't around as well as all the other characters she's interacting with i found super fascinating on top of all the things that you guys just said yeah i, mean, I really like too that she becomes this like you know the one thing about those characters is we typically see them as baggage for the characters in goodfellas mm -hmm. and so one of the things like this movie does sort of lean on what you already know about these tropes that way we sort of can presume what's going on in her life and so when she makes the decision to be proactive yeah, that feels so fresh and new. And then to speak to what you said about like the the black character brought in really highlights how well exposition is handled in this movie. We learn so much about them without them really having to tell anybody a thing. It all comes out of the woodwork naturally and ends up feeling more thorough and and uh, and human than than it would be if they just listed like, "Hi, I'm this person," you know. I, I will say I had to pause this movie after the first like. I don't know, five minutes because uh, her husband walks in and is like, hey, I got this baby. And it's like the, he, she literally got a baby the same way that they get like steak and cigarettes like in Goodfellas where like it, it like feels like he hijacked a baby truck and like brought just brought one home. Like, you know, I got the biggest tree on the lot. Like and like <laughs> as someone yeah, no has watched the baby. Yeah, like don't ask anything. Do you, if anybody asks, you don't know where we got this baby, but here's this baby. Like it's just. I was but laughing so hard that Don't I had to. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, no, we'll, we'll we'll figure out school later. It, it's fine. It's fine. I know a guy down down at the uh, uh, you know like he went to the guy from Thief. <laughs> I was. I went say... down the whole rabbit hole of like uh, them like registering the kid for school and like yeah. the mobsters show up and they're like. You know, we know we uh we don't have a birth certificate, but uh, this is a real nice school you got here. It'd be a shame if uh, something happened to it, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I, lo I love this aspect of the movie. <laughs> I really like the way this like kind of plays into her character throughout the movie. And I do, Dan. I was immediately what I thought of. I was like, oh, this movie's about what happened. What, what, uh, what, like the fallout of Thief, right? Like this is <laughs> yeah. this movie is after the house blows up in Thief. You know what I mean? Like it's that's essentially that story. But uh, yeah, so yeah, I mean, I had this back at number eight, but like. I want to go back and I need to watch. This is still the only Julia Hart movie that I've seen. Um, I would like to go see yeah. Fast Color now. Um, and I believe that her and her husband, I want to say Jordan Horowitz is his name. Yeah, I think that's um, right. They, they're like, a, they're. Yeah, and so it's just, and when you think about like what Fast Color is, or at least what I presume it to be, you know, from what I know about the plot, this is such a big a big jump in genre in style, at least as I can see it from someone who's only seen the one movie. But at the same time, the way that characterizations are handled in this movie is what attracts me to something like fast colors. Like that applied to, you know, a superpowers movie is also a very interesting thing. Uh, so I'm very curious to see how this filmmaking duo tackles other genres with their brand of thematics and character work uh it's just it, this is immediately one of those movies that as soon as i saw it i was like i am excited about anything that that uh that is made by this team yeah um, so yeah. yeah big shout out to julia hart she kicked ass directing this the was, hell out of that movie it rocks yeah this is my number three because i genuinely think it's like one of the best directed movies of the year i think it's one of the best scripts of the year and i think it's the because... score is incredible Yep, it is. The score's mm -hmm. so good, and there's like a ton of Aretha Franklin needle drops. Mm. Yep, that's my number three. Right on. Uh, my number three, I don't think anyone's seen it, so we can probably go through it fast. 
Uh, my number three is uh, Robert Machoyan's The Killing of Two Lovers. And I saw this, uh, man, I think this was Night's Dream. I don't know which one it was, whatever. And The Killing of Two Lovers is a very short movie. It is the story of a young family um, that uh, the, the mom and dad started dating immediately out of high school. And I started, like I said, got married and started having a family immediately after high school and are now sort of in their mid thirties. And they're on a, like the movie opens, they're already on a trial separation. And it is a small town where everybody knows each other. And it's just the fallout of this trial separation, which is being undertaken in the good faith of, we're just learning some things, but we do want to get back together. But as these things go, she is dating a new man in town, and he is not taking it well. And so it's just uh, a sort of slow burn, but always at high-intensity thriller about the fallout from this. And, you know, the, the there's random instabilities peppered throughout from the characters. But it just gives a really good sense of a small-town lifestyle that I don't – that I'm not familiar with. But uh, th- these people behave in ways that, that – I think we've all seen in others and feared in ourselves. And so it's really great to see. And it's just well-performed and just unbelievably intense. I could not relax watching this movie, no matter how hard I tried. And I think it's like 85 minutes long, but it's never very high tense. You know, it's never very like, uh, it's never very like, how do I put it? It's not a fast paced movie. It's a sleepy pace, but it's always just taut to the point where it's about to snap. Uh, I've, I just loved it. So I, I definitely highly recommend. I think it, it sees release in March of this year. Um, you know, whatever you want to make of that being a 2020 movie. But uh, yeah, The Killing of Two Lovers is really fantastic. It is great drama done well. It's the type of drama that you would expect like Lonergan to make at three and a half hours, but it's at 85 minutes. And um you know, and it's eighty-five minute Lonergan movie is like the dream. <laughs> it's but it, and it's it's got a little more of an edge of a Lon- of a Lonergan, but it's the same sort of thing, like where it's gonna twist your guts to make you think about yourself. And um, but yeah, I, I I couldn't recommend it enough, and I think you both would would very much enjoy it. Yeah, uh, Neon uh, I think picked it up after those uh, its festival release, so uh, it'll be out in some some form uh, in twenty twenty one, and that means uh, I believe it'll end up on Hulu at some point during the year because I believe Neon still has that Hulu deal going on. Nice, yeah. Well, when it hits Hulu, definitely check it out because it's it's something. It's it's a real good drama. And as someone who doesn't always just like want to sit down and watch like a big heavy drama but is always satisfied by them. This hits all those buttons and it does it on an economy and one that does not feel, uh, you know, like a digest version. It's complete. It's real good stuff. Highly recommend. It's my number three. Uh, all right. So my number three is never, rarely, sometimes, always, uh, which is uh, just, it's a phenomenal movie. I mean, the, um, you know, my day job is I work in healthcare um, for a company that does sort of like patient advocacy, healthcare concierge type services for people. I work with a bunch of data, but um, one of the things we do at work is we start all of our big corporate meetings with listening to a story of like, or listening to a phone call basically of somebody calling us and asking for help and how we help resolve that person's issue and help them deal with the healthcare system. And 
Um, that's what this movie is about, uh, is basically just how shitty the American healthcare system is in practice and how it feels to go through it. Like, it's not, you know, it's not a documentary showing you, like, the statistics and the cost and the numbers and, you know, the availability of appointments and all that kind of stuff. It takes you on this girl's journey. And, like, all, all of what I just said is, is compounded, like, tenfold plus plus uh, because she's trying to terminate a pregnancy. And so... It is just the story of this teenage girl trying to end a pregnancy that she doesn't want because it's going to put her life in a direction that she doesn't want it to go. And she comes from a small Pennsylvania town. Um, and, you know, it's literally just her going through it. And like she and her cousin end up traveling to New York City, um, you know, to, to get her abortion because there aren't there isn't anywhere closer that will do it for her. Um, the place that she does go is like a clinic where, you know, they basically talk about how great motherhood is and like how special it is and all that kind of stuff. And it's like she knows what she wants to do. Like they're trying to change her mind. It's not that she's trying to decide if she wants a kid or not. She knows that she can't based on this point in her life. And um, the whole movie has a lived in feel. I think it really um, does a great job of, you know, capturing her perspective and you know, except for the people who are directly trying to get in her way about uh, getting an abortion. I think it it meets everybody where they are in their lives. And it's not, this doesn't feel like a like coastal elite, like, oh, let's go to the small town and like, look how backwards these people are. Like, it really is coming from a place of, you know, what are these people going through, you know? And then it also becomes like a great sort of like one night in New York type movie uh, where her and her cousin go to the big city and they have a, a couple of different experiences while they're trying to sort out, you know, what they're, uh, like how she's actually gonna find the clinic and complete the paperwork. And, you know, she has to take a drug and then come back the next day, but they don't have any place to stay. So they're trying to hang out places all night. And, you know, it's just a really, it's it, it, it has a very sort of uh, like Nick and Nora's infinite playlist type vibe to some of the scenes. And so like, even though it is about a very like emotionally intense and kind of harrowing situation, you know, it does capture that sort of feeling of like being like a teenager or even in your 20s where you're like, I'm going through some shit right now, but also like we're going to go to the food court like, um, <laughs> you know, and I just found it so watchable and so lived in. And like this is not a movie that like it. I was worried it was going to like just wreck me and like just make me feel shitty all day. But I actually like felt good watching it because I was like, wow, like look how bad the system is. And yet people can find a way through it and they can make it work. And, you know, like, and, and that's to say, like, it's all carried by these performances because it's a very, like, it's a well-written movie, but it's a low-grade movie. And there's so much that's just in the characters' faces. And, you know, as teenagers, there's so much that kids leave unsaid uh, that you can just, like, see carried on the faces of, especially Sydney Flanagan, the lead actress. Like, she's won, this is her debut film, I'm pretty sure. And she's won, like, some lead actress awards at some of the... Uh, the critics awards that have already gone through and she totally deserves it because she's incredible. So, uh, that actually sells me again, it's, yeah, it's, it's one that doesn't, the premise feels very heavy, but watching it actually does yeah. for the most part. That's the thing. Like I always, I, like I heard all these great things about it and I was like, Oh, this is like very much something that interests me to see explored this way. But I just figured it would be the kind of thing that would just like either upset me or like make me like, and, and, uh, so to hear that makes me want to engage with it more because I, I'd be, you know, I, I, I would like to uh, 
I would like to enjoy it, but it felt like one of those movies where I'm like, I don't know if this is going to be an enjoyable one. It's going to be one where, like, I go, hmm, correct. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so, yeah, no, I, I definitely uh, went yeah, into I'm, I'm it. Yeah, I went into it expecting it to be homework, and I came yes, out of it being yeah. like, oh shit, that's a movie, you know? Sweet. Oh, I want to check it out now. You sold me. That's because that is such. I, I don't know. I, that's uh, that's certainly a fact that we. Uh, having our art to be discussed is you know our health care and all the hurdles oh, oh. i'm here i just I, I this is another one i've not seen this movie i you know i will maybe one day <laughs> oh, see this movie. I, I just i was like i don't know anything to contribute to that <laughs> i know I, I thought i was watching you guys watch me on the screen like when it catches up real fast, because I was like, oh, yeah. Off. No, I think that was, was both like, of us just that or... nodding at each other, going like, okay, what are, are we moving on? What's next? Um, which, yeah. Uh, yeah, let's do that. Uh, so my uh, my number two, I, maybe we can talk about this now. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, my number two is Brandon Cronenberg's Possessor. We got to move forward. Okay, all right, all right. Okay, it's that's very exciting later. to me. Okay, great, great, great. That's very exciting to me. But... The good news is we can now talk about my number two, which is Color Out of Space. Hell yeah. Uh, I've been chasing the experience of watching this movie since the moment it ended. Yeah. Um, uh, Lovecraft horror is all about the idea that something can be so foreign and so scary and so close to the thin membrane that protects our normalcy that to even glimpse it will drive you permanently, irrevocably, explainably insane. And so many Lovecraft ab- adaptations try to invoke that and do a decent job. You know, you got the tentacles at the end of Reanimator, things like that. But this is the best I have ever seen in terms of capturing that. Yeah. This movie reaches a level of pure, just like cellular level horror of absolute manic insanity that just fucking pop that shit in my veins because I love it. And it's Nick Cage doing a role that is just, you know, if anyone else played it, the director would be like, do your best, Cage. You know, <laughs> uh, and, but also, you know, in, in a fun way of sort of building a Lovecraft world, you know, there are elements where it sort of reclaims these stories from Lovecraft, who was uh, very dated in the way he looked at people who weren't like him. Um, oh. And, uh, but- let me just wait, I just want to interrupt really there because Lovecraft wasn't dated so much as like people who were contemporaries of Lovecraft was like, dude, you are hella racist and you need to knock oh, the yeah. fuck off. Yeah. Fair. Okay. So I just wanna yeah. I always want to say like we give we give like other people like not enough credit for like back then, like Lovecraft was racist by his own time period standards. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm I'm unfamiliar actually with what that time period is, if I'm being honest, which is why I said it the way that I did. Um, I really don't know when he was, but it's great the way that they did say, like, yeah, we all admit that he was a racist, but uh, check this out. We can actually make this story for everybody. We can extract mm-hmm. its values and we can apply it to, you know, to a story that that isn't, uh, you know, from the brain of a hateful person. And uh, and so I think they do a good job with that. And it's great. Richard Stanley got a chance to make a movie. He's been in sort of director jail for years. Um, and I think really stepped up because, frankly, I've seen a couple of Richard Stanley movies. I don't love them. And I think that he really became somebody that I, I care to see his movies now. Um, 
it's just like it's fucking there's a body horror element that i first saw in an episode of x files that like freaked me out as a child and they invoke that same body horror element here and it's oh it's ookie gookie to the point where my one buddy who like we geeked out about x files called me when he saw it he was like bro it's the thing it's the thing from the x files so it's I, I just the, the experience of watching this movie uh, was one of the most intense and exciting and fun that I had all year. And it was right at the beginning of the year. And it has stuck with me since uh, th- like this was a lock from the moment it ended. This was uh, the first like new release I saw in 2020. So like, you know, January, yeah. you know, like I think end of January, this was like the first 2020 movie I saw color of space. And then it ended up being the last 2020 movie I watched. It w- I watched nice. it on uh, New Year's Eve, the morning of New Year's Eve to rewatch it for the list because I had the same experience. Dan. I saw it early in the year. I really, really liked it and it pretty much stayed on my list. But as I was kind of shuffling things around in the end, I was like, let me let me just sneak one more watch of this in. Like, let me, let yeah. me see really where. And then it like. It went from like shuffling around in like the bottom five to like this is top tier, top five without a question, like needs to be their movie. Like the filmmaking is great. Again, it's like Stanley, like you said, coming out of director jail, like really quits himself wonderfully. This is like a tremendous looking movie that's like really well shot and edited. It's got like a really nice pace, a really kind of unique look to it. Um, but the thing that I I want the thing that is crazy is reflecting on how I felt about it in January when I saw this movie before we were in the midst of a pandemic and then watching (laughs) it again now in the midst of a pandemic, because it's a very different movie now, not that it would have known any of this, but like the movie is literally about the land that the gardeners live on has become poisoned and it is, and it, it is changing them and it could kill them. Like that change could like evolve fast enough to kill them. Uh, And on top of that, one of the things that it's about is how that sort of instantaneous, something like cancer, something that drops in and like a black hole kind of chain warps everything around it. Right. Um, It brings out the worst in people. These kinds of things bring out the worst in people. Nick Cage decides to interpret that as like, he has this whole thing about his dad, like never being proud of him and being like a really hard father and any time that he seems to be experiencing the side effects of this poisoning of his land, he becomes his father, and his interpretation of that is a Trump impression. That's 100% what yeah, it is. Yeah. And so, like, watching this movie at the end of 2020, like, at the end of this guy's presidency, in the midst of a pandemic, this movie is, like, very much about, like, this thing that happened that brought out the worst in everyone and is now in the air and could kill us. It's like, it is the most 2020 movie that came out in 2020. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it didn't, and it didn't even, it didn't even know what it was accidentally predicting. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to watching this again. Cause I, I watched it over the summer. Uh, and, and I feel like I distracted myself by nitpicking at the movie because I, was not capable of engaging with what it was actually being about at the time. Right. Um, where I was like, I don't know how I feel about this Nick Cage arc. Cause I feel like he's a little too heightened at the very beginning of the movie before stuff starts to happen. And like, yeah. this stuff feels like a distraction. And I think my brain was like trying to poke holes in the movie, which is not something that I usually like to do while watching to begin with. But I think just because 
I was in a I was in an emotional state where I was like, I can't actually handle this right now. So right, I need right. to distance myself. Uh, so I actually I look forward to going back to it because I did enjoy it. And I think the visuals are stunning yeah. in this movie. Like I love the look of it and just yeah. the use of uh, purple, which is not a color that is often part of movies. Right. Um, and so I, I just think using that color palette is 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 super interesting. So I'm definitely looking forward to going back to it when I'm in a better brain space. And I will say, Ryan, I reread my review from January. Uh, and in that review, I think I gave it three stars. And I said, like, oh, there's something really weird about the pace of this movie. And, like, the way characters make decisions don't always make sense to me. And I don't know. That, like, took me out of it a little bit, I think, in that first watch. This second watch, like, I had none of those problems at all. I, I And I don't know if it's just, like, once you know sort of the full scope of the movie, it's a little easier to see that, like, it's a little more about how all of this kind of feels and, and, mm-hmm. and the way that that kind of like, you know, just the, the arc of these, like, I actually think cage is like, gives a very calculated performance. Like what he's doing in the beginning is very calculated and fine tuned to where that character needs to kind of end up and land by the end. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, so I think in full view of it, like a lot of those things actually feel very appropriate to the story of this movie. Um, cause I, I, and I think what I'm saying is I kind of agree with actually your initial assessment of the movie, okay. you know, uh, and, and I think a second viewing might ease some of those things out of it. Uh, uh, it did for me anyway. Yeah. I yeah, hear you. And, and spoiler alert for the, uh, future conversation in a couple of minutes on the show. I feel like I have the same reaction to possessor also, Yeah, yeah. which is where like, now I know the, that the shape of the movie going back to it, I'll be able to enjoy it for what it is instead of what it made me think it might be. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Which, yeah. which happens like that totally yeah, happens totally. to all of us. Yeah. But I, I like I when that happens. The fact that, like, yeah, no. And I, I enjoy possessor. I'm not going to be saying like, I don't think either that or color out of space are, are bad movies by any means. They're just movies yeah. that I know I'm going to enjoy like being spoiled on them and having had the experience being able to like, again, enjoy it for what it is, not for what, not for the 90 different directions my brain was going (laughs) while watching it, but like actually came into like the path. I find that when a movie doesn't fully work for me, but then rocks me the second time around, that's typically a better movie than movies that I liked the first time around. I agree with that. When Mm -hmm. I make that book growth, it usually indicates a higher quality in my experience indicates a like a denser higher quality movie where the shortcoming was was me rather than the film right and um and, and uh yeah and like that because like possessor was definitely one of those movies where i watched it and i was like that was fucking good and when i watched it a second time it like i was like this is a great movie yeah, yeah, yeah. but same. more on that later yeah same um yeah dude i'm i'm really glad we got to talk about color in a space like this because I, I i really think uh the uh the rewatch really sort of sent this one from like I really thought that was a cool movie to like oh this is I really think when we look back on this year like a, a long time from now this will be one of the clear like oh that movie was like really hitting kind of that movie captures something about that year you know what I mean and we're gonna see that that shade of purple is going to pop up in more sci-fi more frequently totally. and oh, we will yeah. be able to trace it back to color out of space. The same way we can trace back a hundred sound cues to uh, Annihilation, the right, way that yeah. we can mm-hmm. trace back a hundred action movies to The Matrix, all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. 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 Cool. Color out of space.
So uh, we're at Rye Guys 2? Rye Guys yeah. 2. Uh, so my number two is uh, First Cal, um, which uh, was the second to last movie I saw before the shutdown. Because um, I did go and see Pixar's Onward in the theater like the day before I I probably shouldn't have gone, honestly. <laughs> but I was like, I got this, I got this A-list, and who knows when the next time I'm gonna get to a movie theater is. And like it was totally worth it. But um, but yeah, no, first Cal, uh, I saw like the week before that, like a press screening where it was like only press because things were already like getting a little wild and woolly. Um, and then I was able to watch it again when it actually, you know, came out on uh on demand. And so uh yeah, I absolutely love this movie. I think Kelly Reichardt is a fascinating director. Um, I love that she makes westerns, and I like that she... It's not even that she's, like, reclaiming the genre, but she is using the genre to explore the idea of what America is. Is she um, Meeks Cutoff? She is Meeks Cutoff. Okay, cool, yeah. Um, and then her previous movie, I think you guys would both enjoy. Uh, it's called Certain Women. It's, uh, it's a Ooh, Criterion release yeah. now. Uh, Kristen Stewart is in it. Carrie Mulligan is in it. Laura Dern is in it. And it's um, soul. <laughs> uh, it's like vignettes about women living in modern day Montana. Um, cool. You know, double sold. Yeah, yeah it's very cool. Um, and so this movie is about uh, two men. Um, and one is an Asian immigrant. One is a guy who his profession is being a cook. His name is Cookie because that is his nickname <laughs> from <laughs> being a cook. And you know, preparing food is something that is traditionally a very feminine trait. And so these are two guys who are in on the frontier in Oregon, but they are not the, you know, masculine, you know, British pioneer sort of archetype people. You know, they are very much kind of try, having to find their own way. Um, and it's about, you know, there's a couple times in the movie where people say oh like history hasn't come here yet like we're bringing civilization even though there are obviously people already living in this territory uh, you know being like native Amer americans and things but it is really about how capitalism spreads and sort of like the original sins of capitalism uh because the sort of main plot of this movie which is has a sort of a like a coen brothers vein to it is that like uh, somebody, a rich person brings the first cow into Oregon and they sneak in the middle of the night, milk the cow, and then use the milk to make baked goods to sell to people. Uh, and so it is basically this like, you know, like I said, this, this original sin of capitalism tied into manifest destiny, tied into roles of masculinity, tied into the frontier. And it's a, it's a really funny movie. Like it's also a comedy. So it's, it's doing all these, like working all these ideas into a very, um, you know, a very charming, fun story to watch, um, but doesn't pull any punches when it comes to expressing sort of the problems that it's exploring. Uh, the two lead performances are super fun and amazing. Um, it's uh, Toby Jones is also in it as the owner of the cow, uh, and he gives a very funny Toby Jones performance. Um, so it's it's one. This is again kind of like I was saying with Wolfwalkers. Like I feel like this is Kelly Reichardt like making a movie that is more accessible to audiences. It's a very like A twenty four type release, um, and so it's her kind of stepping a little bit towards the mainstream from her like super indie sensibility, and then finding something that I think is going to connect with more people and get her ideas out to a larger audience. It's uh. It sounds like uh. How's uh. It sounds like a slow cinema jalakatu. 
from your description. But it, it's yeah, it's but it's uh it's not as slow as Meek's cutoff, which like Meek's right, cutoff okay. I enjoyed and like when Jill was watching it, I was watching it with her and I didn't log it on like letterboxes. I actually just totally fell asleep 45 minutes through. <laughs> yep. And not because I wasn't enjoying it, because it really is slow. Like this is not slow. It luxuriates in its pace yeah. for sure, but like it is, you know. It's like a, it's more a slowed down Coen Brothers movie than a sped up slow cinema movie, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, by the way, I didn't mean that in a pejorative either. I, I know. I, sometimes I, I quite enjoy a, a slow cinema. No, yeah, so do I. I'm just saying, like, this, like, she's kind of known for a slow cinema feel, and this is actually her not doing that. So, okay, I just, interesting. it was cool. more for clarity than, yeah, yeah, correction. Yeah. Did you ever, did you ever catch up with Meek's Cutoff? Uh, I've not, not seen that. The, Oh yeah, <laughs> it, it's it's real good. It's real good. Now for first cow, how was uh, how was Tyrese as the voice of the cow? <laughs> I heard he was like he was like really popping off. I mean, it's really transgressive <laughs> to cast a male voice as a female cow who's getting milk. <laughs> no, actually, to tell you the truth, I I have the uh, the, the uh, digital copy of uh, of uh, First Cow, uh, and um, I I was going to watch it like before I tendered my list, and then I was like, you know what? I'm so happy with my list that I'm just gonna wait, and so <laughs> that is why I sat on First Cows because I was like, I just don't want to have to change my list, so I'm probably gonna watch it now that it's 2021, and it's <laughs> it, and, and I can just take it without the pressure of list making because it really it's, it really sounds cool and i just never got around to it yeah, yeah same. for sure i i hear that are we are we number one in yeah are we at number one let's do it oh man it's number one it's uh, like record time too i know we're nailing it we're gonna we're gonna come in for that soft landing right around eight so that dan <laughs> can get to his drag race Oh, yeah. I don't know, because I, I, I know what your number one is, and I had a hell of an experience over the last week uh, <laughs> in the wake of that movie in terms of the media I've consumed. So good yeah. for it. Me too. Oh, my, my number one movie, and this was like a no, this was a knockout, no question. Like there were a bunch of things I was shuffling around, and then when I saw this movie, it was like, nope, that is that is the movie of the year for me. No questions asked. Uh, it's David Burns' American Utopia. Weird, because you kind of have to say it's Spike Lee's David Burns' American Utopia. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. By Sapphire. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> directed by Spike Lee. Uh, it's a you know a filmed version of a, a David Burns Broadway stage show uh, called American Utopia. Um, but uh, what I, I mean, what I loved about it so much was I just fucking cried the whole time. I literally I don't know how to explain why or what happened with this movie, but like. Literally, as he it opens with that song where he's holding a brain and he's mm -hmm. singing about the connections in your brain. And like 30 seconds into him talking about connection, I, I just started crying. I just I started getting like really emotional and I, I, I couldn't really I didn't know why. And then just every successive song and every little thing where he just copped to being an old white man and and really only, you know, sort of using his voice because he has his voice and has this position. And so he's choosing to use it for this, but still is going to sort of lend it out to all of these other people over the course of the show. Um, the way that the show is this really deceptively simple stagecraft. Like this is an exceptional Broadway production, I think, but it is meant mm -hmm. to look 
very, very simple. It's meant to look like something you could do in your bedroom right along with them. Um, even though it's actually this like really, really uh, significantly highly choreographed, uh, you know, set of things that are just meant to look sort of improvised. I, I was just really taken with that. And then Lee's ability to, and I, I sort of, in our, I, I felt like I hit the nail on the head in our group chat at some point talking about he successfully imitates what my eyes do when I am standing on the floor at a concert where I am kind of giving every performer five seconds of my attention and moving from one to the other. And I want to see what the guitar players do and kind of vibe with him for a second. And then I want to see what the bass players do and like kind of vibe with him for a minute. And then I want to see what the drummers do and like kind of vibe with it. And like, he just chooses exactly what my eyes want to be seeing every time that he could. And in doing so also manages to like highlight and enhance the stagecraft. There are certain like lighting cues in this that are really amazing looking from the audience's point of view. But then he also gives you like a bird's eye point of view that they're also amazing looking from, but you wouldn't be able to get that from sitting in the audience. So it's like uniquely cinematic the way he's able to capture what they're doing on the stage and how they're doing it while still highlighting the actual stage. I was just so impressed with what this is as a movie, not to mention that what it is about is just that, it's a goddamn miracle that we're all here and get to be here together. And that is like some weird fucking black magic that we don't appreciate enough uh, and should be grateful for no matter how much turmoil we find ourselves in. But And it's why we should fight to not be in that turmoil with each other, you know? I think he, one of the, because I, I, I was utterly blown away by this movie. I think it's, it's perfect. Um, yeah. Uh, and it was another one that like it came in just under the wire, so I just almost didn't consider it for my list because <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just caught it. Because um, I've always loved the Talking Heads, yeah. And um, but I'd never seen Stop Making Sense, which I did watch the next day after watching this, and um, probably but, the greatest. Yeah, it, it was so just a great one-two punch, and yeah. it, it actually made me realize just how good of a cardio program it is to be <laughs> in the Talking Heads. Yes. Um, but with American Utopia, I really like that. The, the thematic thread, the opening on the brain where he's talking about the connections yeah. and he almost laments this idea that it's very, qu it's very quick that our brain starts to, to degenerate and these connections go away. And so you enter with this sort of melancholy, um, which he speaks to in the whole, you know, there's a party at my house monologue, uh, I, which you dude, told me about. I love that monologue. Yeah. <laughs> but I am who I am, you know, yep. and um, I am what I am. And when he, uh, but he enters with that that melancholy of like, you know, act now because we're losing those connections. But then to land on the idea of no, it's not a degeneration; it's just a symptom of evolving, and these connections actually need to be made outward. That is so poetic and so moving, and so speaks to this idea of connection that we think we have, but we increasingly lose. And uh, I don't know; it just it, it was so beautifully done, and just an amazing piece of stagecraft shot well. Yes. Um, Hamilton also came out this year and that's an amazing piece of stagecraft shot not as well and because they thought of it as, in terms of coverage they end up missing so much coverage and for Spike Lee to approach it as a filmmaker ends up choosing shots that are so intuitive but are also artful it's really one of those like everyone's firing on all, on all cylinders and managed to just like coalesce at this moment it, it's like such a and also when they when they're doing the say their name song, the Janelle, yeah. Janelle Monet song, I'm, I'm sitting there next to Jenna and I looked and I rolled my eyes and I said, you know what? It's crazy that in the time this came out, there's names that won't be able to be in it. 
But yep. then the fact that this is a film answer that after the fact validating the idea of, of this not being just a filmed play. I, right. oh man, I can gush forever. Yeah, I'm so glad this is on your list. It's, it's uh, correct. I, I, dude, I loved this movie. And I, if you don't mind, I, I want to read uh, just a little piece of someone else's review of this movie. Uh, the, it's the username JQ on Letterboxd. Uh, he's just a guy I follow. We comment back and forth on each other's stuff. He's another Godzilla fan. Um, that's kind of how we started following each other on Letterboxd. He said this really uh, interesting thing that I, I, I just wanted to read really quick because I do think it's important to kind of reckon with David Byrne with this movie because Byrne is kind of like a noted dickhead, you know, yeah. like he, he, he and this movie is all about like this communal experience we're all having and kind of like trying to be good to one another. And so it's like, I do think we have to like reckon with him a little. And so this is from uh, this guy, JQ's review on Letterboxd. He says, though Byrne has been a shit and literally left a shit for an undeserving hotel maid. I don't know if you guys have ever heard that story. Uh, yeah. Uh, though he's been a shit to his former Talking Heads partners and his ex-wife, his persona during the film could not be more collaborative. Yes, his name still egotistically hangs above the title, but he is conversant with the audience unlike his aloof performance and stop making sense, gushing about the talents of the other performers and maybe most of all, willing to share the spotlight with them and Autor's vision of Spike Lee. And he goes on to say that this is really exemplified in the final moments when they all ride their bikes together out of the uh, theater. Um, and and it, the, the very final shot becomes this sort of ultimate celebration of going out and making these connect, like holding on to the connections together, but going out into the world with those connections and kind of trying to spread that connection. Um, and and I, I just think that's a, a, an important thing to kind of try and reckon with with this movie. Um, and I think yeah, that's a nice way to put it. Very well said. You wrote that yeah. very well. Yeah. Um, I, uh, this was my number four. Um, I watched this two weeks, roughly almost, I think almost exactly two or three weeks before the election. Mm -hmm. um and so like i was in a place of super like not even cynicism but just despair and like the depths of like my pandemic anxiety my election anxiety and my anxiety of like stop making sense is probably in my top five movies of all time um and i've watched it like three or four times in the past 12 months um uh, and it, so it I very much like wrote my review in the depths of that anxiety and with the nervousness that this was somehow going to like tarnish the idea of stop making sense in my head because it's something that I love so much and think is a perfect thing of what it was. And so like I definitely sort of approached my review in part as like a is this a worthy stop making sense to twice in a lifetime kind of, you know, twice kind of in a lifetime. Sorry. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um <laughs> And so, you know, and then watching it, I was blown away. Watching it again a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, just, you know, really blew me away all over again. And and that final moment of like, like it was clearly filmed in winter. Like David Byrne is wearing like a puffy white coat. He's wearing a, a ridiculous looking hat and he's wearing mittens and he's riding his bike through the streets of Manhattan and he's like a 70 year old man. And I kept going back and forth between like, this is insanely dangerous. Like he's an artist that needs to like be physically protected <laughs> from New York city traffic. And also like, Oh, this is like a Muppet movie now. Like, <laughs> because it has that sort of like unbridled joy and love and enthusiasm to it. And, you know, I ended up picking up the, the soundtrack from this show specifically uh, on vinyl um, so I've been like listening to it a lot, even if I haven't been watching it a lot. But the 
as a film, it's amazing. Like the, you know, it's it's so different from like it is more like Hamilton in the sense that this is a well-oiled machine in terms of performance. It's not like some concert movies thrive on capturing the spontaneous moments. You know, like your like your Bruce Springsteen's of the world. Like it's very much about his connection to that audience on that night, and like you want to try to bring that to the screen. Whereas I feel like this is david byrne bringing a crafted object into the world and sharing it with a different audience every night Mm -hmm. um and it's it's a it's a fine distinction but i think again like spike lee's eye on that captures that perfectly yeah um there's like a five minute conversation between the two of them on hbo max as like a bonus feature Uh, and it's just the two of them sitting six feet apart having like a five minute conversation about their new york their new york experiences and like Spike Lee saw the Talking Heads CBGB. David Byrne was at the Ziegfeld premiere of Do the Right Thing. Like, you know, they've been in each other's circles this whole time. And like, you know, just thinking about this whole class of people that I enjoy, like, you know, uh, Ang Lee, who's one of my all-time favorite filmmakers, like worked on Spike Lee's thesis film at, at Tisch. And like, you know, there's all of these connections. And again, this just underlines the theme of the movie and the show itself, which is that human connection and thinking about like all the people I've ever interacted with in my life as sort of a neural network and how like the exchange of ideas and like, you know, the uh, when you go down like rabbit holes on things where you're like, oh, like, like Garrett, I know that we're like, we're recording this in the wake of MF Doom having the news that he passed away having come out and like, you know, your connection to his King Ghidorah album and then your later discovery of those Godzilla movies. And like, there's all these things that seem random in our lives, but what if they're not? And I feel like that's all part of this, that's all baked into this movie. And then also talking about how important voting is and how important police reform is. And like, it's it's like every everything that I've ever thought in the past, you know, 18 months somehow fits, has a place in this movie. Yes. Um, and like the more I think about it, the more I love it. I also read um, uh, Chris France. Uh, his, he's the drummer in the Talking Heads, and he and his wife Tina are both in it. They co-founded Tom Tom Club. Yep. Tom uh, Tom I read Club. his book uh, Remain in Life this year, which goes into a lot of like David Byrne is an unreformed asshole, and yeah. like is very aware of his status as such, sort of. And he he talks about how like. You know, they could have confronted with him about stuff, but they would rather have just kept the band going because they like doing the band. And that was yeah. more important to them than getting credits on albums that they definitely deserve. And, you know, him playing Talking Head songs in this show, I have like mixed feelings about based on his reputation and how he kind of stripped things away from them. And um, so I highly recommend that book also. It's called Remain in Love. Uh, it's also super cool because it's like the only music. Uh, memoir that I've read that clearly does not have a ghostwriter mm. because like oh, cool. it's written in a style like it's written in a very simple style and I'm not trying to like I'm not denigrating that but yeah, I'm like yeah. celebrating that like this is clearly like a dude sat down at his computer and typed this out you know yeah. and like it went through an editing process but it wasn't him telling a story and then somebody else writing it up and bringing it back it's not artful it really is feels like his recollections just bare on the page if uh, um so if- yeah I Right, if oh, I can, well, just while you're talking about that, a uh, quick plug to um, uh, Scott Ackerman and uh, Adam Scott's show, which is currently called uh, Are You Talking Heads to My Talking Head? Uh, they had him on uh, oh, um, nice. uh, the show to talk about that book. And so that uh, he and it, 
the conversation a lot revolves around like, yeah, Dave was hard to work with. Like a lot of the time was very hard to work with. I, uh, I'll say about this one. I was so impressed with how well his voice has held up. Over oh, the dude. Years. Yes. Yeah. Uh, two, I think that, uh, the two of you, if you haven't should watch John Mulaney and the sack lunch bunch, because <laughs> he is an integral part of one of it and does a really great song. And, uh, when I was watching this movie, I could not keep my eyes off the bass player because mm-hmm. first off, his heels were second off, he's dancing, and third off, he's smiling. And there's like choreographed smiling and jiving with other people that is like mm-hmm. real good. And all I could think was if I could do one of that performance perfectly, it would be the highlight of my life forever. And it would never be topped, and I would be so happy that that is it. And that's just his job that he did twice a day, five times a week for months. <laughs> to, to nail that every night seems impossible. And all of them, did, all of them, it's insane. I was just so envious of the raw fucking artistic talent on display uh, on every level. The movie kicks so much fucking ass, and, it, and it, it's just lovely. Uh, and Very I, I glad think, you guys convinced me to watch it. I do think this is one of the uh, again uh, alongside like Color Out of Space and and for me maybe Possessor like this is a 2020 movie. I mean this is a movie that I think when we reflect on this year many years from now it'll be like yeah that's one of the ones that's like one of the ones that defines that uh, that year. Well, it's interesting you bring up Possessor <laughs> because that's my number one movie let's, of the year. Let's hit it, baby. Um, Possessor is just like it's hardcore bloody body horror made high art it's this crazy story about identity it's about capitalism because let's face it if people could put their consciousness into another person's body the fucking first thing americans would do with it is corporate espionage and assassinations Uh it's the first application but it's like weird and like kinky and gross but it's like hot and bloody and just everything about it works it it's I, I watched it three times now, and every time I watch it, there's different ideas of the plot that I have about the plot as to what's yeah. really going on. Because yeah. there's little pocket ambiguities scattered throughout. Yes. But every single thing that I go, I think this is what's going on, only highlights all of the themes that it's talking about. I totally. And agree. so every new thing I learn about it, and then to watch and just see that it's just rob it of all of that, and it's just a fucking metal ass gnarly sci-fi body horror movie about fucking murder yeah oh it's got jennifer jason lee it's yep. got christopher abbott giving a goddamn murderous performance it's Dude. got andrea riseborough absolutely chilling yeah. like I, I said in my review in my list i said they give performances that i would call vulgar and i mean that in a good way straight yep. up vulgar disgusting performances but it's like oh man i just I, i'm gonna hit my hand I mean, it's one of those movies. What I think one of the things that is so remarkable about I was Tori and I were talking about like, oh, what are the best performances this year? And I was like, I think Christopher Abbott might be my like best male performance of the year because he especially watching it the second time. I never for a second am thinking about him. I'm always thinking that he is her. I'm never for a second like something about he is able to capture that it is her inside of that body i would actually go one further because there's a few moments where i think 
he emerges for a second or two. Yes. When she has flared up emotions, it yes. seems to be the point where she loses control. Like when when uh, the Sean Bean attack scene. Yes. I don't think that's completely her doing the mission. I also uh-huh. think it's a little bit of him breaking through and informing uh-huh. some things about her. And I think that's in his performance. And I think yep. that's informed by her performance outside of him. Yes, There's yes, so yes. much going on in it's every remarkable. level of texture of the movie that every time I, it, this is giving me It Follows vibes where every time I watch it, I go, that's a question that I think I can answer now. But I think I have a new question. But yeah. each one ties to all of the themes again and highlights them. It's, it's fucking brilliant. Add to that the fact that it is now a 2020 movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. From the guy whose previous movie is anti-viral, and, uh, <laughs> which we can get into the thematic levels of that. But it's just... And, and stylistically, this is one that we're going to look back in five years and go, wow, a hundred different movies looked like Possessor and, and played with weird visual ideas that it's just, and I keep using the word, but it's just so, it's so goddamn metal, dude. It's, I think that movie <laughs> it is. is just so metal. Yeah, it is. It's so, it has the scene that I talked about in our favorite scenes thing that's like real weird and crazy. It's this crazy sex scene where she's in his body fucking her, but the imagery has a mishmash of yeah. genitals and everything. So it becomes this weird, like kinky gender fuck thing that's tender and sexy and horrifying. And the what it means in terms of like, you know, body inviolability and and consent and all that is all tied into it in a way that you go, this is a beautiful painting as well. It, it's, yeah, yeah. I am I am beside myself with just the staggering artistry of every piece of Possessor, and that's why it's my favorite movie this year. Dude, I'm with you. It's it's gorgeous too. I mean, it's, it's like it's got gorgeous. this really like dense color palette, but they like they like pop off the screen even though they're like so sort of like textured and dense you know what i mean like it's it's a the really blood good looks movie so good <laughs> yeah i love when blood <laughs> looks right and the blood looks better than i've ever seen it, it uh-huh. it's just it i would say that it rivals the nph scene from gone girl in terms yeah, of yeah. blood looking downright slick artistic just like shit blood is a medium at this point <laughs> Ooh, it's so good yeah, uh, yeah, I, I could gush about Possessor forever. I, I, I meet, that was like one of the first things where I was like, I have a 4K player now. I'm getting that 4K. Yeah, and it is, it just <laughs> looks like sweet, delicious candy. I, it's in a, a tremendous movie. Cronenberg, uh, no, no better case against nepotism could be made in terms of his arc as a filmmaker because whatever yeah. doors were opened, he was gonna open anyway. The talent's fucking explosive. Oh yeah, and, and like, dude, it's. I really love that this movie is this kind of miasma of kind of story and theme and plot where it's like there's so much going on that you really can it's like every time i watch it i sort of have different ideas about it and like what it's doing or what it might actually be about or you know because there is there's this whole thing about like kind of uh, like i the reason i think this is a really good 2020 movie specifically is like this movie i think captures this like very weird there, you know, in my opinion, we are we are living in the collapse of capitalism. Like we are living mm-hmm. through that right now. Like it is ca- it is crumbling around us, and we are living through that. And this movie is very much like I think about what it feels like to live in a sort of I think I said in my review like a crumbling capitalist culture. You know, um, mm-hmm. uh, as that oh is, that job that he has yes like, they don't even tell you what that is yeah or what that job is. But watching him do it, I'm like that makes 
so much sense as yep. our empire crumbles. This, I just, it's, yep. right there it is. It just, it feels like a window into tomorrow, like literally tomorrow. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and I don't know. So I just, I think it's, you know, like Videodrome. Uh, it's going to be one of those movies. It's like, yeah, that reflects the anxiety of that time, like so well, you know? Um, it, it might yeah. not get the details of what's to come exactly right, but but the feeling of being on the precipice of that, that that is the movie that captures it so well, you know? We've consumed, so, like, the best sci-fi is the stuff that you look back on and go, wow, they predicted all of these cool elements. Right. And we have enough sci-fi in our back pocket now and in our rear view that you can almost see when that's going to happen. And yep. Possessor is definitely one of those where I'm like, there's so many things that I can tell it is, like, calling out about our future. I can't point out what they are yet, but I'll, I'll get back to me in five years and, I can, right. and, and we can talk. But, like, you can, you can just tell that it's there because it's so intuitive. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. So possessor can't be beat. A hundred stars. And like the idea of like our bodies just as as meat, basically, like as as like the you know uh, the means of production, as the capital, yeah. as like where our bodies are just literally there for corporations to sort of use as meat puppets, like at their will. You know, it's like it's it's pretty chilling stuff. Antiviral. I've not seen antiviral. One of the aspects of that plot, like, because, like, the, the whole point of the plot is uh, if a celebrity gets sick, you know, they'll get a sample from them. So if you want, you can get the same cold as your favorite yeah. celebrity. Yeah. Uh, but also, like, uh, celebrities will give, like, a sample of their skin that they can clone. So you can, I could have, I could have a Shia LaBeouf steak if oh, I yeah. wanted. Weird. And so, like, and so it's, it is very interesting that he is already thinking about these ideas yeah. of, like, where the, like, the machine can't be all metal, but where are we going to get that flesh? And, oh, we're just going to cut ourselves up and put ourselves in it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's scary stuff, and it is mm, mm, delicious movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah all I, right. think, I think uh, when I go back to revisit Possessor, I think, again, knowing the shape of it, because I think I was a little frustrated because I was like, oh, my mind can think of a thousand places that this premise can go. And I think it does actually go there, but it's hard to, it was hard for me to see that the first time through. Cause I think watching a second time, like being able to take in more of the details of the performances of the, the different choices. I think it is at least raising a lot of those questions that I was wanting it to raise, but just not as directly as I needed them to be the first time through. I also, I think um, that makes I, sense. Yeah, and I, I think I, and I've heard a few other people say something similar. And, and like, there is sort of, you do kind of think you're watching a certain plot that does kind of wrap itself up before you even really get to like the final act of the movie. And so it's like what you think the plot of the movie is kind of is not really that you know it's just like the thrust of like one act of the movie really. Um, and I really like what it ends up ultimately do you know like where it ends up ultimately. But I think like. It's another movie where it's like once you know the full shape of it, it's a little better of an experience to then get there to that finale and see what's happening there and what they're digging into. Yeah, because I this is I a perfect example the of the last, movies like, we were talking. Oh, sorry. Oh, uh, I love the last like 15, 20 minutes because that's where I was chomping at the bit for the movie to go. Yeah, I was like, oh, let's get through this mission. Let's get into all of the weird. Well, if we can do this, then what does that mean? And what does this mean? And I think. Yeah the way that Dan was talking about it, I think some of that stuff is actually raised in yeah. those first, that first act, but I just couldn't see them the first yeah. time I was going through. But now that I know 
where it actually where it actually does go. I think I'll pick up on that more. But I love like I wanted that last act of the movie to be like the first act of the movie because <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, let's get fucking weird. Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> Possessor two, PO two two E two two O R. As and as that Jacob has demanded comes out on February twenty second, twenty twenty two. I really like that title because I think if you tried to read it, it's basically potato. <laughs> <laughs> tighter um but uh the the last thing i I will say about possessor is this is a great example of one of those movies where i watched it and i liked it but i wasn't like quite sure what to do with it and then that second time i loved it so much that i realized it was great you know that i I came to the opinion that it was great agreed agreed are are we at the last one we're at the last one baby i think i know what it is and i'm excited because i'm coming up Uh, on my rue deadline I, well, and I'll um, just say up front, I know what it is, and I've not seen it, so like you guys can have at this, like just enjoy right. this conversation. Um, so uh, Spike Lee had a big year in my house, uh, huge, because huge, huge. <laughs> not only we're reclaiming uh, huge. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not only American Utopia. Uh, not only did I finally watch Do the Right Thing for the first time, uh, but I was completely blown away by The Five Bloods in a way that like. This might be the most, oh shit, like moment after moment of, oh shit, I can't like, I can almost not wrap my brain around what he's doing because I'm being so entertained and so filled with ideas and information at the same time since like Inglorious Bastards. Like, that's how much I love this movie. Inglorious Bastards, one of my favorite movies of all time, saw it multiple times in the theater because I, the tension of that movie, I just soaked up. The way it plays with history, all that kind of stuff, just completely i was completely in love with that movie and that's how i feel about this movie um you know i've never truly gotten into vietnam war movies as a genre uh because in part because i feel like i don't know enough about the war to understand the stakes of those movies necessarily but the way that spike lee plays with that iconography there's a moment in this movie that is not at all tense but there's a choice that he makes where i almost fell off my couch because of the implications of it So they are, uh, it's about these Vietnam War veterans today. Uh, They're traveling back to Vietnam to find some gold that they had buried there back during the war. Um, They all play themselves uh, at both ages so that when there's flashbacks, which are shot in like 16 millimeter Vietnam War, Vietnam War style footage, uh, there's, they're old, but they're playing, you know, the younger versions of themselves uh, Chadwick Boseman. If I can interject, oh, yep. that's not a distracting choice at all. No, uh, it's one of those things that, like, you would think that that would happen. You'd be like, "Oh, they they're just still old," but it just doesn't even register. It, it if they were played by younger actors, you then have the task of assigning who's who. Yeah, and just by eliminating that, it, it, the emotion just comes through so much cleaner. That's all I would say. Good because they play like memories, like. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, where they, yeah, it feels cool. like them yeah. reliving that experience more than it's us seeing the original experience, and I guess which that's like has a whole other presented. Mm-hmm. It is sort of but, presented but it, of them reliving. Yeah, it and it it is and it isn't at the same time. Like it, but it fundamentally works that way, which is cool. And then Chadwick Boseman uh, plays uh, their like uh, platoon leader um, who you know is not with them anymore, basically. Um, so he's he's young. I mean, um, and his performance is astoundingly good. But 
So they are in Vietnam. They've been to a club that is called Apocalypse Now that has like iconography from that movie and is like a dance club. Okay, now they're on a boat on the river and Spike Lee plays uh, Riot of the Valkyries. And I almost fell off my couch because, all right, so he's referencing Francis Ford Coppola using it in Apocalypse Now, which then was referenced by, you know, Zack Snyder's Watchmen, The Simpsons, Casper, Ernest Goes to Summer Camp, Crazy Rich uh, There's Asians. an episode like, of Home Improvement that references it that I'm thinking of. Right. Yeah. So, like, Tim made a remote that, control helicopter. Right. Like, that itself became like a meme before memes were a thing. But then, if you put the clock back further, the first use of Ride of the Valkyries on film was uh, in Birth of a Nation when D.W. Griffith used it when the clan was riding in as a way to show the heroism of the clan. And then this movie is about how racism impacted black soldiers in Vietnam. And my brain like melted out of my head because I was like, I don't even understand what point he's making, but I know he's making one except to get me to think about all of these things, which probably is the point. And like, he's just, he's so like culturally illiterate and the movie is literate in that same way that in glorious bastards, it's where it's feeding you back all of these things that like are common cultural experiences, but completely reframing them from the black experience. Uh, and like, and that's before there's any sort of like tension, action scenes, emotional like resolution. There's so much going on in this movie. It's so layered and yet it's entertaining the entire time. Like this is a very long movie, but even watching it at home where I feel like length actually, I feel more than I do in a theater. Um, like I was just completely captivated uh, the entire time by this movie. Like it, it just completely moved me, totally knocked my socks off. Like this was my number one from the moment I watched it all the way through the rest of the year. So yeah, this was on my months. list. Ed. This was on my list at number four. I had a very similar experience to this movie and Garrett, if I can make a comparison um, and I said this in, in my list article, like, this is such a great thematic movie in terms of and like the timing of it almost by chance because it dropped right mm -hmm. around the time that that the George Floyd protests you know started beginning. Yeah, I remember, yeah. And um so it was just it like, but even if it hadn't come out at that time, you know, Spike Lee, I, like you said, Ryan is just culturally illiterate, but it also couches like a sorcerer level jungle adventure movie. Oh, that's yeah, yeah. really good and really well done and like really stark and and intense and upsetting and it's also got like every you know older older uh man of color actor that you've ever loved right uh just stacked uh, I, who's the guy who plays freeman on the wire oh god what is that guy's name I love and him. also the guy who plays Senator Clay Davis, who does drop a handful of shit in the, the, his catchphrase from The Wire, which Fabulous. if you stay to the end of the credits, uh, there is a short behind the scenes uh, meme uh, at the Five Bloods based around that. Uh, but the one thing I wanted to say about the Five Bloods is that... Well, Wendell Pierce is she. Wendell Pierce is she, yeah. Um, oh, no, he's not. Wendell Pierce is, uh, is not she. Yeah, he is. No, Wendell Pierce is, uh, he's the other guy. What? Hang on, I got it. Uh, Clark Peters is Freeman. Yeah, Clark Peters, yeah, uh, Isaiah Whitlock Jr. is she. Yes. Yes, he is, 100%. Yeah, 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 yeah that's right. Yeah, um, but Delroy Lindo gives what is, hands down, 
my favorite performance of the year in The Five Bloods. Mm-hmm. It is some of the most intense, just real shit. There's a scene that is essentially him marching through the jungle towards the camera, towards you, intensely monologuing, sort of freeform thought, sort of like what's happening to the character in the moment, and sort of just like him yelling the themes of the movie. And it is some intense, just punch you in the face kind of acting the likes of which I have not seen in ages. And I was utterly gobsmacked and it's a shame that he's going to be placed up against, uh, uh, probably an equally deserving role, uh, from, uh, Chadwick Boseman from either this or Ma Rainey. But like, I, I'm going to be so mad if Del Lindo does not get the best actor Oscar, because I just don't see it happening for him again. And he just, it's a grand goddamn fucking slam. I, I cannot yeah, his, overpraise his performance. It, it is his it's a bomb. His performance is incredible. Definitely, I would agree, Dan. My pick for performance of the year. Um, and you know, the other thing about this movie is it is an adventure movie, and it's the kind of thing where uh it's also really tense, but not tense in the sense of like, oh, there's a bomb that's gonna go off. It's tense in the sense that there's like well, there is a moment where a bomb's going to go off, but there is, it's more tense <laughs> in the sense where, like, there's all this emotional stuff. And, like, because we, it's, because it's a movie coming from this certain genre tradition, we know kind of what has to happen. So there's, like, an inevitability aspect where, like, we know this has to get resolved and we know this has to get resolved, but how is it going to happen? And I feel like Spike Lee is sort of playing with that tension, that sense of inevitability when you watch a movie that you're like, oh, I know how this is going to play out. But the closer you get to those resolutions, the more you're like, oh, my God, is this actually going to play out in the way that I expect? Like, are the is this actually going to happen or is there going to be some, you know, some new twist because the movie, you know, introduces enough obstacles, enough enough weirdness. Um, like there's they stumble across like a French couple in the jungle and, and like that changes the whole dynamic of everything. And <laughs> they stumble into Paul Walter Hauser. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's, he's hanging out in the jungle. <laughs> Um, so it's like, it's, I mean, I think I've done a poor job of selling how much, how entertaining a lot of the movies that I picked are. Um, but this movie, besides, I don't think you've done a poor job. uh, Well, well, thank you. Um, but this movie is extremely entertaining and also like hit me like a ton of bricks. Like I never thought about the experience of black soldiers in Vietnam, finding out about Martin Luther King getting assassinated, uh, from the, uh, the like at the anti-american propaganda radio and like that's crazy like what that does to them you know what i mean and like why are they fighting this war and like all that kind of stuff and it it's asking all these big questions it's feeding you all these answers based on you know again like this insane cultural literacy like you know it calls out treasure of sierra madre it calls out rambo it calls out platoon like it's in conversation with everything you know and it's um it's just amazing it's it's like it's like if spike lee made like a very serious season of like the simpsons where like (laughs) it's dropping all of these like you know and adopting and synthesizing all of these cultural markers but doing it to serve his own story and it's just it's just incredible like i can't say enough good things about it you know in terms of timing quite literally like two weeks before it i watched apocalypse now for the first time just by like random chance you know, just quarantine, knocking out the the three hour movies, and um, so yeah, it was a nice little sort of double feature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the movies, it's it's just it's just damn incredible. 
it, it's I loved it. That the one two punch of Black Klansman in that is like a real good, like supremely entertaining homework movie, both in a social sense and in a filmmaking sense and in a storytelling sense. It's it's just fantastic stuff. So yeah, yeah. I mean, you throw Utopia in there and like you know. Damn, Spike Lee. Like, it's a crazy yeah. year for Spike, yeah. He is really a tremendous filmmaker. He's he's one of the greats. He, I don't think there's any denying it. Yeah. Um, well, boys, this uh, we really have... Uh, I think we did this. We're going to come in under three hours, which may be a first for our end of year. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, no... <laughs> No honorable mentions. That's right. We're done. <laughs> That's right. We already did our 15s through 11s. We handled it. Yeah, we're, we're done. We're good. Um, so I guess I'm at Dan Scully on all of the things letterbox. <laughs> Check out cinema76.com. Check out findy.com. Check out hot property. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's it for me. And Dumpster fires up. for you on Instagram. Jenna selling candles. Get some. Oh, nice. I like that. Uh, I'm at Philadelphia everywhere. I'm on cinema76.com. And uh, yeah, yeah I, you know what we should do right after the plugs is let's each uh, run down our list one more time. Just boom, 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 boom. So that they get uh, read that way. Uh, Ryan, go ahead and throw out your plugs. Sure. Uh, I'm at Silver Whatever on Letterboxd and Twitter. Uh, I'm also at Cinema76 where you can read uh, a list from a bunch of our staff members, including the three of us. Uh, there's a lot of unique picks this year, which is super exciting. Um, so ch- definitely check those out and my podcasts uh, will return at some point in the future because they're all kind of on hiatus right now for reasons um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah I can run I can do the first rundown of my list since I'm already talking yeah. um, so so my 15 is time the documentary my number 14 is tenant my number 13 is Emma my number 12 was Gretel and Hansel my 11 is the wolf of snow hollow my number 10 is wolf walkers my number nine, Shirley. My number eight, Soul. My number seven, Softy. My number six, The Nest. My number five is Mank. My number four is David Bird's American Utopia. My number three is Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. My number two is First Cow. And my number one is The Five Bloods. Dan, go ahead and uh, hit your list up, man. 15, Random Acts of Violence. 14, Butt Boy. 13, <laughs> I love saying that. You guys, it's a really funny movie. I think you guys would both enjoy it. Um, 13, True History of the Kelly Gang. 12, Capone. Uh, 11, The Old Man Movie. 10, I'm Thinking of Ending Things. 9, The Assistant. 8, I'm Your Woman. 7, Fat Man. 6, Murder, Death, Koreatown. 5, The Rental. Four, to Five Bloods. Three, The Killing of Two Lovers. Two, Color Out of Space. And one, Possessor. Uh, I'll just do my, my ten through one. Uh, ten, Wolf of Snow Hollow. Uh, nine, Me and the Cult Leader. Eight, The Rental. Seven, Palm Springs. Six, The Invisible Man. Five, Dinner in America. Four, Color Out of Space. Three, I'm Your Woman. Two, Possessor. One, David Burns, American Utopia. And I think if I followed along, that means like uh, American Utopia, Possessor, Color Out of Space. We had a couple of uh, repeats across these lists here, which is uh, uh, nice to mm-hmm. see. Yeah, um, yeah. 2020 was a pretty good year. I mean, it, it, honestly, I think uh, I'm, I hope that one of the lessons I can take into years to come is just like 
let the list be personal. Like that's, that's what it is. Like, you know, this year forced, I think everybody to have these like very personal lists, but I, I hope that's like something that has maybe, uh, broken some of that, uh, need for there to be like a cultural, uh, sort of you get, agreement. I think you get better this, criticism you know? that way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you just get more, you just get more ideas and more angles. It's just, it's better that way. Like yeah. I, I know what movies are supposed to be good, but I want to know what the writers I like think about them. Right. You right. know, and mm-hmm. and I want to find writers that that interest me and could give. So like, yeah, I, I like that 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 could be something that has shattered. Yeah. Um. So uh, and you can find our show uh, everywhere on the internet at I like two movies. It's Eric two. Uh, send us an email. I like two movie at gmail dot com. My name is Garrett Smith, and I like to movie movie. My name is Dan Scully, and I like to movie movie. My name is Ryan Silverstein, and I also like to movie movie. And we all know that you like to movie movie because we, we, we like, like to, to, to movie, movie. movie. Happy New Year.